Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. It's time. Yes, it's Hooked On Podcast time. Welcome along, everyone. Nice to have you back with us here on the Hooked On Podcast. And I make reference, of course, because tonight we are going to be going back in the time machine to talk about a couple of things. One is we're going to look a little bit at the genesis of Hooked On Wrestling, how we came about, how we got to this point with someone that's been around from the start. And we're going to be looking back to the career of the man they call Vader. We were set up the uh, task of talking about Vader last week on the podcast by Dean Ayas, and he is who we'll discuss in the second half, in the best of times and the worst of times. But before we can get into any of that, I have to welcome on my co-host as ever, a very busy uh, co-host this week, and I'm going to rightly refer to him by his nickname, which is uh, Welcome to the Show, Showbiz Paul Benson. Oh, mate, I thought you were going to give me uh, the, the man they call Benson intro today. I'm slightly disappointed. No, you've had a showbiz week, which we're going to get onto in a, in a little bit. We'll, we'll get everyone settled in and into the show first, but uh, I want to talk about your showbiz week coming up. No spoilers, but it's been busy, isn't it? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been one of the more interesting weeks in a, in a long time. Yeah, I can I can, I can happily say that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm back in my home office. I think the last time we recorded this, I was in a hotel room in Birmingham, so I'm pleased to be back under my own roof now after a bit of a grueling week. Fantastic stuff. Um, well, uh, we'd like to welcome onto the programme today, and now what we've done is we often take our pointers from some of the wrestling greats. Obviously, Vince McMahon knows how to promote a wrestling show, uh, and the other week he did the Superstar Shake-Up, and we tried our own version of that. That didn't necessarily work, but we're going to the well one more time, because very much like Vince McMahon, when things are flagging and when we want to get some more interest to the product, we are going to push the Indian to the top. So welcome to the show, <laughs> our friend, Vikram Sangar. How are you doing, Vic? I'm very well, thank you, Rob. Yeah, lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you for the invite. You are our Jinder Mahal, sir. We are pushing <laughs> you into the top spot. We hope you don't let us down. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been working on my, uh, my abs and my arms. I'm looking almost as good as Jinder now. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, listen, normally when I introduce the guests, I actually give a bit of a, a vaguely serious bit about uh, about who they are. I say it's this wrestling manager, it's this wrestler, it's a journalist, it's a promoter. I don't know what to describe you as because you're a bit of a, you're a bit of everything to every man. Uh, those of you that don't know Vic, and a lot of the people listening will do from various little bits and bobs. Apart from actually getting in there and wrestle, you've done a bit of everything around the wrestling business, kind of in some ways, haven't you? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So from from the beginnings, I guess, um, yeah, I've um, done a lot of journalism. I used to work um, a lot with the with the Sun newspaper, I guess, or News International for my sins. Um, I've also done uh, photography around wrestling. Uh, I don't know, refereeing, booking, um, pretty much everything you can kind of think of around uh, the wrestling scene in the UK. I've, I've pretty much been there, done it organized it been behind the scenes or uh yeah been involved in 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 one shape or another really 
Um, so, um, so yeah, it's been it's been quite an eventful journey over the uh, the past I don't know 20 years or so. Right, I'm going to get in straight away here because I've got a good Vikran Sangar story that uh, after a couple of years after I'd met you, maybe not as, maybe not as long as that actually, but uh, here's the thing everyone, I'm always hearing from Vic, yeah I've met this guy and worked with this guy, yeah I know so and so, and I thought, I've always thought, he's a nice guy that Vikram, but he's done enough bullshit a lot about who he knows and whatever, oh, it can't be true. Then, we were at Wembley Arena... Uh, backstage after a TNA show. You'll have heard me and Paul talk about going backstage at Wembley a few times. It was always the last night of the TNA tour. Free bar, hang out with a few people, tell some stories, have a bit of a laugh, meet some folks. It was always good fun. And Vic had been talking about how he knew this guy on the TNA roster and this guy on the TNA roster. Yeah, okay, Vic. And we're in the bar, and Christopher Daniels and Samoa Joe came over to Vic and gave him the most welcoming hug and oh it's so great to see you but was it I think it was Daniels and Joe it might have been AJ and Joe it was definitely a combination uh, of two of those three <laughs> and it was like oh this guy's pretty in here and I sort of felt bad for us ever so slightly doubting him over this time it was like those boys loved him and they hadn't seen you for years so yeah. that was a pretty cool moment do you remember it? I, I do remember it well yeah I mean I'm, I'm surprised I still remember it uh, judging by the amount of alcohol we consumed <laughs> that night yeah. but um, no I do remember it well it's uh, yeah so it takes me back to uh, to kind of the early days really of uh, um, sort of in the early 2000s when um, when British wrestling was you know having this massive revival really and uh, there was a lot of good independent you know wrestling shows that were happening around the UK and unfortunately around that time I used to be involved quite a bit with uh, especially with the uh, the FWA that was uh, was around in the UK, and uh, during that time, some of the main guys that used to come over were AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Christopher Daniels, and so those three were regulars to to the UK scene. And uh, very fortunately, I got to uh, know all three of them pretty well, um, especially after shows, uh, going to bars, hitting clubs, and and that sort of thing. So uh, so over the years, I've been I've been very fortunate, especially with those three, that uh, you know we got to got to share many drinks and. Uh, and uh, yeah, share many stories really, and uh, and it's so nice, really, you know that you know even though I haven't seen them for you know quite a while, really, um, that they uh, that they do still tend to remember me. And I'm sorry for name dropping all those all that, all that time, Rob, you know, because uh, you know me, I do like a good name drop every now and then. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite nice that uh, you know didn't show me up at all, you know, that they kind of went, hey Vic, how you doing? Long time no see. Well, so I, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, my my intention is for me to come across as the heel in that story for, uh, for ever having doubted you and listen if there's ever the place to name drop this podcast is the place baby it's all we do oh, Dean, Dean's come on and done it Ash Rose Joel a lot of them they've all come on and uh, name dropped all over the place I can barely walk around my office there's so many names that have been dropped on the floor um, and speaking of mentioning Joel in there the first time you and I would have met would have been um, when you were uh, you were flatmates with uh, Joel Ross for your sins, um, that's right. But um, I'm sure we'd have, we probably bumped into each other somewhere along the lines before that. But that's certainly when I first got to know you, and we've uh, we've been mates ever since. And um, Paul, mm-hmm. when's the first time you were uh, you met Vic? The first time I met Vic um, would have been at one of the TNA fan parties, I imagine. That um, when... I I think that may well have been right, actually. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Probably the first TNA pam- vampire I went to. Cause quite frank, I'll be completely honest, guys. At the time, <laughs> I didn't really know that many people, uh, famous or otherwise. So to be stood in the same room as Joel from JK and Joel was quite. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this dude stood with him called Vic, and it was like, oh, I better tell her to him to be polite as well. But now we've turned out to be best of friends after all these years. So I'm really pleased I got a bit starstruck that night. <laughs> I know that feeling actually, Paul. I was just going to say there was a. Uh, uh, the first time I actually met Joel um, 
I, I actually I wasn't starstruck at all because I, I actually didn't know who he was. So I was, uh, <laughs> I was on an assignment to uh, to do a review of one of the WWE UK shows, and uh, and you know how it works. You know, you go to one of these uh, WWE shows. They've assigned one particular row for uh, for all the media outlets to kind of sit sit there. And I walked along this row, and I sat next to two random guys and introduced myself. And the guy goes, "Hi, I'm Joel." The other guy goes, "Hi, I'm David. Nice to meet you." And I'm like, "Cool, cool." Uh, so Joel, what do you do? And he goes, oh, um, he's very kind of coy about it. He goes, oh, I just um, kind of work um, work for the BBC, like uh, Radio One. And I was like, oh, cool. And I, I just assumed he's just some sort of runner or you know, tea maker or you know, <laughs> getter of coffees for uh, for people there. And uh, kind of left it at that. We shared a few drinks, <laughs> sort of two, three drinks. You know, carried on, carried on going on. And I remember I was still at the bar with him at eight o'clock the next morning. And uh, by the end of this, we were just like the best of friends, and um, and so Joel and I have been pretty much the best of friends ever since then, really. And uh, and yeah, you know, so we ended up living together not long afterwards. So um, yeah, beautiful romance blossomed, I guess. Yeah, you could say. Or <laughs> friendship. There's a big question. There's a big question that everyone wants answered here, and uh-huh. that, and that's who's David. Oh, David. <laughs> so David, bless him. Yeah, so David. David, um, bless him. That's a, friend, a great name. Was, 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 a, was a friend of Joel's, um, is a friend of Joel's, um, is actually last seen uh, teaching primary school kids up in Scotland, I believe. All right, cool. Um, Hi, so, David, uh, yeah. if you're listening, a big shout out to David, bless him, yeah. the, uh, the, the yeah. Scottish teacher. Mr. <laughs> Straw, yeah, if anyone's being taught by Mr. Straw up in Scotland. Um, Mr. Straw. Does, yeah, I bet, yeah. I bet <laughs> no stick off the kids for that name. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we um, we talked about how uh, you've been involved in lots of different things. We those have been those people that have been loyal listeners to uh, the Hooked On podcast through our 2021 or so episodes so far will have heard um, Paul and I talk about lots of different stories. We've talked about um, meeting Ric Flair and being around for a few glasses of red wine. We've talked about um, watching Royal Rumble parties in London. We've talked about going on these UK tours. Um, if we've not mentioned Vic by name, it's worth basically guessing that he was probably there for pretty much all of it. So, um, in, 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 in short, because we've, we've been we've been long form on this before, but in short, what's your uh, what's your memories of the uh, the Ric Flair two day red wine marathon? Oh wow! Um, I mean, that was that was a pretty amazing couple of days, to be fair. Um, my highlights, I mean, personal highlights for me was you know obviously. Rick Flair, you know, taking off his Hall of Fame ring and just handing it to me and going, "Do you want to try it on?" And I'm like, "Sure, I don't mind." So I'm putting on his Hall of Fame ring and you know showing that and and uh, yeah, you know, it was um, it was a real kind of mark out moment for all of us, wasn't it? Really, you know, it was uh, it was incredible, you know, to meet the you know 16 time world champion in the flesh and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, he was fantastic. I mean, I think probably one of one of the highlights, just simple things, really. You know, you walk into the bar and you you just hear a genuine. Woo! When he walked into the bar, and he came like, "Oh yeah, Rick Flair! Rick Flair's made his entrance," you know. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And um, yeah, I know um, we we only want to get on to some of the um, uh, the the starting points of, of Hooked On really tonight. And um, um, Hooked On Wrestling, in its essence, came out about as a as a magazine that was uh, between myself and Paul. Uh, and Patrick Lennon and, and uh, Dan Ferdinand, but um, when we got into doing the the party side of things, um, mm-hmm. our first one was um, I can never remember the year, Paul, but Royal Rumble about five years ago, four years ago, yes. five years ago, two thousand and thirteen. 
2004 to four years ago then. But um, before that, we had um, we've talked again on the podcast before that uh, a bunch of us would meet up in a flat in Camden, dress up, act like Wally's, have a few beers, <laughs> wait for you wait for you to serve us the curry. <laughs> and then we'd uh, we'd enjoy our evening, a little bit of a sweepstake on the rumble, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. but you were basically the host, weren't you, for these kind of things? That I was. was. You, hosted the, you were the original was. host for four other people. <laughs> I was, yeah. It's it's funny how how one idea can you know just take a whole life of its own and snowball into uh, into something so big now. But uh, yeah, it was simply you know an invite to you guys, you know my closest, nearest, and dearest to uh, to come round and and you know visit the flat that both Joel and I lived in and. Uh, and yeah, to you know, come around for a meal and let's let's enjoy the Royal Rumble together, really. And uh, and you know, obviously as time went on, we're going right fancy dress. You know how how cool it would would it be for all of us to dress up in fancy dress? And and we probably wouldn't look out of place in Camden anyway if we went out on the streets. And so that's exactly what we did, if you remember. You know, we all of us dressed up in our wrestling gear ended up you know frequenting the uh, the local pub there. My old local, the Abbey Tavern. Abbey Tavern. I was going to say, I remember that was. I was going to be at, it was either Annie's or the Abbey Tavern. I couldn't remember which one it was down that street. On the Kentish the Town Abbey Road. Tavern. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, just on Kentish Town Road. Yeah, you walk in, and uh, I don't think anybody kind of batted an eyelid, really, did they? You know, just like you know, one guy dressed up as a big boss man, another guy's IRS, but Shawn Michaels from the Rockers, myself as Carlito, and and CM Punk. It was <laughs> and so the original. Yeah, so the original kind of guys just kind of walked in and everyone's just kind of going like, oh, oh, it's yeah. like a normal buy-hand Camden. Fair enough, yeah, no bother with that. Um, that was actually, that was the second go-around, wasn't it? Because I, I think in essence you are the first ever, um, the first ever winner of the Hooked On costume contest because I think you're, uh, you're Edge on the first, oh, right. the first time we ever did it. Do you remember that, Paul? Yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Complete with he even had sparklers for his entrance, didn't he? He yeah, had, he I, had I, don't, don't try the don't this. try this at home kids pyro is what he had. <laughs> <laughs> so just to explain to the listeners what had happened was uh, obviously the first time around we'd done this and we'd you know dressed up in fancy dress, so I decided to dress up as Edge. So I had the blonde wig, I had I had the kind of hat and then I had a leather jacket on. Uh, but Joel and uh, Paul both thought actually my entrance wasn't quite complete. So although I had Alter Bridge playing in the background and you know the music sort of playing, the entrance wasn't quite there. So Joel being Joel and having like a huge line of cosmetics in, in, in his <laughs> wardrobe, um, brought out two cans of hairspray, and uh, you, you guys proceeded to uh, to use a lighter basically on the end of the two cans of hairspray and give, gave me my own pyro, my own entrance <laughs> into my own flat. Yeah, which is uh, which is quite memorable. Really. I remember. I, I forget who came up with the idea for that, but I do remember me saying, "I tell you what, lads, I'll take the picture. I won't, <laughs> I won't be the one with the lighter and the can." Once again, hey, maybe, don't maybe try this can... at home, kids. And if anyone tries that, um, if any of our party venues, when you, you're gone, right? So don't even don't even think about that being a good idea to do at uh, any of the hooked on parties. We did it first. Smoke. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Smoke alarms, fire hydrants, whatever else, you know, all the sprinklers will probably go off, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. if you try that. Kind of Perhaps so, we, can, uh, we can tweet out a photo. I'll see if we can dig out the photo. And, uh, yes. You know, if people are interested, we can probably tweet it out and uh, just show what it was like on that original first party that we did. Absolutely do that. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the right thing to do. And we uh, we encourage people to. In fact, it's a good time to, uh, to plug the social media. So go on, Paul. You know you love to. Oh, go on then, Rob. Right. So if you want to see that photo and we dig it out, um, you can check us out on Twitter at HO underscore wrestling. Um, we'll also bang it on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HO wrestling. And we might even put it on Instagram at hooked 
underscore on underscore events and that's us excellent stuff and there you can find uh, lots of information all about Hooked on Wrestling uh, most of all about the uh, the shows that we're putting on in July uh, with Bruce Pritchard coming over to the UK and Ireland as we announced uh, last week so uh, some exciting uh, developments more on that uh, later on in this show um, but uh, Vic I'm sure you were with us when we uh, we first branched out from the uh, from the party so mm-hmm. no longer were we able to uh, visit the flat you'd moved out Joel had gone back to Manchester so it was a bit of a what are we going to do Paul had the harebrained idea with about right. 15, 16 days notice that we were going to host it in Belushi's <laughs> and miraculously about 80 or 90 people turned up but basically the crew on night one organising everything doing everything was the three people that are on the line right now there was literally no one else basically that's right. That's right. And uh, you know, it seems like a world away from what we what we do now, really. But uh, I remember lots of running around, uh, trying to work out what wires go where, trying to you know get you know just. I mean, the main thing was you know let's make sure that the pay per view works. You know, pay per view's got to be working on the big screen, everything else, on all the screens. Everyone needs to be able to watch it. And I just remember this mad panic going like, oh geez, I hope people order the pay per view. I hope it all works. I hope you know all the wiring we've done you know goes goes really well. But I mean, what was incredible was just, you know, the, the turnout that we had and everyone just dressing up in fancy dress and, and some of the costumes were just fantastic, you know, and, and that's what I think, you know, makes the, the Hooked on Wrestling Party so great is, you know, just, you know, the fan involvement and how much, you know, people just love to dress up and come in this fancy dress and, and just, you know, live out these characters that they see and they love on screen so much. I always like to stress to people, just in case you're listening and thinking, uh, these parties sound like fun, but I don't want to dress up, is absolutely not mandatory. Um, you're yep. not going to get turned away if you're not in costume. The the, <laughs> ge- the general dress for most people, I think, is jeans and a wrestling t-shirt. I think pretty much 90% of the year, uh, well, not 90%, probably about 70% of the crew, the people that turn up uh, are dressed like that. Some are dressed in civvies, and a good selection, 20% or so, um, come in their, uh, in their fancy dress. And even then, not everyone then enters the fancy dress competition, but it does, as Vic <laughs> says, um, it, it adds to the vibe of the night, and we continually... Uh, get surprised by new costumes, new wrestlers that people are coming as. Um, because let's face it, you know we've done a lot of these parties now over the last, you know, four years and all over the country. So we're, I'm speaking specifically about the uh, the London event, which is the one that uh, uh, me and Vic are typically at, and Paul as well. Um, but uh, all over the country, we are, we're continually surprised by the, the pictures that we see. So uh, thank you all for your continued efforts uh, uh, regarding that. And um, but Vic, you said about the uh, getting the pay per view on. I think it was the second, possibly the third. <laughs> night we had a Belushi's but I think it was the second one which would have made it Wrestlemania if that's the case that's perhaps, right perhaps it was the SummerSlam later on but I think it was the Mania where it was a little yeah. bit um, you know five minutes to midnight have you ordered yeah. it are you sure you've ordered it oh I don't know how to turn it on and I remember me and you well I say me and you but you were doing all the work in this tiny little <laughs> room in almost the cellar in Belushi's plugging things that's together right. Um, that's right I specifically whatever show it was I specifically remember when we got everything on um, yeah. Bret Hart was telling Alberto Del Rio that he could be a Mexican Bret Hart. So whenever it was <laughs> that Del Rio did the baby face turn and opened the show, I think it was SummerSlam actually. Uh-huh. It was whenever it was that that happened. That's the show. So when uh, people can find their own uh, ways to that find it. That was Mania, was it? That was WrestleMania 29. Yeah, that was the one. Okay, well there you have it. That's uh, at that point. Just you know, tw- imagine that 30 seconds before Brett made that <laughs> ludicrous statement to Del Rio. Um, Vic was sweating his cobs off making sure that the actual event was going on because I always make this point whenever we do these shows is that people say you're having a good night and I go ask me again at one minute past 12 
That's because right. That's the moment. We all say that, don't we? That's the moment. Once that pay per view's on, we can chill, have a beer, maybe one or two, uh, uh, you know, extra, you know extra cocktails, and that's our night made. For me, it's about it's about ten or eleven minutes past twelve, and the only reason being is because if you remember how you used to get the uh, ten minute free view of any pay per view on Sky, <laughs> so when it, yeah, so my my concern <laughs> always was at say eleven minutes past twelve, it's all gonna go off, and then all hell's gonna break loose, and there's no pay per view for anyone to watch. So as soon as that eleven minutes past twelve or eleven minutes past one, depending on when the pay per view starts hit, I'm going like, phew, relax. Time for a pint, and now I can enjoy myself. <laughs> Brilliant. I remember those 10-minute free views. Not for the wrestling, though. Um, <laughs> anyway. Wrong channel, Rob. Wrong channel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you say that. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I thought it said Destination X. Anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. We have, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, you as a wrestling fan, um, Vic, sure. um, growing up, getting into it, because um, we're going to later on talk about... Um, uh, WCW quite a bit because we're going to talk about Vader. So I've always, you've always, whenever I've spoken to you about wrestling, and we've had many, many thousands of conversations over the years, but things often get back to WCW with you. You were quite a WCW <laughs> guy, weren't you? <laughs> I was a huge WCW fan. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, you know, I grew up, I'm, um, you know, obviously a couple of years older than you guys, but um, I, I just, think I have a very good memory from from my childhood, really, and um, and I distinctly remember the build up to WrestleMania three. So if you imagine around that time to 1987, so I would have been about seven years old around that time. I, I have this great memory of, you know, wrestling challenge, superstars of wrestling, the kind of build up to like what was, you know, building up to be WrestleMania three. Um, so from then on, I have, you know, obviously really good memories of watching the, the WWE, WWF at the time. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, I kind of grew out of wrestling sort of in my teenage years, as you, as you kind of tend to do, you know, other, other parts of life takes over, you know, kind of meet a few girls and this, that and the other, so suddenly wrestling suddenly takes a back seat. Uh, but for me, I mean, I guess the turning point uh, pretty much was uh, uh, 1996, actually. I was on holiday in Canada. I was in vacation in Canada, and, and um, I was spending some time with my aunt who I hadn't really seen, you know, too much, and... Um, and uh, her next door neighbor um, basically had a son who was the same age as me. So we're both like 16 years old and we kind of hung out a couple of days and had a good time. And then he basically said, do you want to come around? I'm ordering some wrestling on pay-per-view. Would you like to come and watch it? And I've gone, well, I haven't seen wrestling for a good few years yet. You know, I, don't, I probably won't know what's happening where and what's going on. And, and he goes, well, I'm ordering it anyway. Come around, let's watch it. So, okay, sure enough. So I went around to his house, started watching it. And it was uh, Bash at the Beach 96 was the uh, was the pay-per-view so uh so if you know your wcw history pretty well you'll know that uh, hulk hogan <laughs> the red and yellow hulk hogan turned his back on his fans and uh and started up the nwo and from that moment on i was just hooked you know to, to coin the phrase i was pretty much hooked back on wrestling again really from that moment on and uh and so from there on i came back to the uk i'm like right i need to watch wcw i need to know what happened next and sure enough, TNT, if you remember Cartoon Network, mm-hmm. used to show a condensed version of, uh, of Monday Nitro. Um, so they used to show like a one-hour version or a 90-minute version of Monday Nitro uh, from you know from the States pretty much on the same week. Um, so yeah, just started watching that and just became this huge WCW fan. Uh, I used to watch it before, you know, in and out, you know, sort of, you're going to talk about Vader and things like that later on, I know, sort of 94, you know, early 90s, whenever it used to be on ITV. Um, used to watch that quite a bit, but um, yeah, from about 1996 onwards, the Nitro, Thunder era, 
attitude, you know, attitude era, Monday Night Wars, all of that was was pretty much my scene. I think um, we talked about the uh, the ten minute previews. I think one of those was uh, Bash at the Beach as well, but that might be again a certainly different subject. <laughs> um, would you would you consider yourself um, a WCW fan over WWF, or are you just sort of a wrestling fan of all eras? That just happens to be the one that stands out for you, because obviously, ultimately, it was the biggest thing ever at one point, and then within three years, it had gone completely. So, was <laughs> was the heart kind of ripped out of you when WCW, you know, finished because you were a fan of that rather than the genre, or you know, was well, it just it yeah. just happened to be? Did you probably watch both of them really? Sure, I, I think what it was was that. Um... I was so pro WCW in the Monday Night Wars that to see WCW die and then, you know, retrospectively have every single kind of star that came out of WCW sort of, you know, kind of, you know, for, for, for want of a better word, just kind of shat on, on the w, in the WWE, you know, very few actually kind of, you know, made it there. And uh, and so really, you know, the, the kind of legacy of what WCW left behind was, you know, kind of forgotten really. And a lot of the characters who we kind of, you know, you know, loved quite a bit, there were very few that, you know, kind of made it through really and, you know, stepped up or, you know, even went to the WWE. Um, you know, recently now, obviously, you know, you've seen Goldberg come back and it's been fantastic. You know, you've got a fantastic reaction coming back here. Um, and you know what a what an amazing run, especially after you know being ten years out of the ring. Um, but you know, apart from that, you could probably say Booker T, Diamond Dallas Page were probably the most memorable. Um, you know, I did like when the Radicals, you know, first came into the WWE. That you know made me switch over and made me want to watch because you know those guys were some of some of my favourites in WCW. And and of course, Chris Jericho was you know such a misused talent in WCW. Um, you know, so I was always a fan of of watching him in the WWE at the time. Uh, but yeah, WCW was always where my heart heart was, and and even now, you know, looking back, I mean, I, um, you know, <laughs> I hate that WCW isn't around, you know, but you know, I'm I'm still, you know, kind of it was great to see Goldberg back, you know, just recently, and uh, you know, obviously I got to go to WrestleMania recently to kind of see him in action as well live, so uh, so that was fantastic. <laughs> well, keep your pa- keep your powder dry on that one because we're going to get to uh, we're going to get to WrestleMania in due course because we've uh, okay. we talked to a lot of people but before WrestleMania and we're keen to. Uh, Talk to some people that were there, so we'll um we'll, we'll get to that in uh, in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, just rounding off this little WCW thing, so I know um, sure. Paul's got a question he wants to uh, to dive in with, but just to um uh to finish this bit from watching it back then, like you said earlier on, you got involved with FWA and a few other um, wrestling mm-hmm. bits and bobs from um you know being around with Joel or for whatever it may have been um, or you know uh, on the circuit as it were. Did you get mm-hmm. to meet um many WCW guys that you were you were big fans of? Because obviously it's a bit different when it's you know AJ and and Joe and Daniels from the next generation on. You got to work yeah. with them, but there must have been some people that were sort of half an era before that, which you watched on TV and got to meet them, and it was pretty cool for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, actually, the the first two I met, um, uh, surprisingly, actually the first three I met were Scott Hall, um, Goldberg, and the third one was one of my favourites was Norman Smiley. Okay. So screaming, so screaming Norman Smiley. Um, so I distinctly remember Goldberg and Norman Smiley were doing a signing session in Tower Records in London. Okay. I still remember this. And um, and I got to meet both of them, and I was like, wow, I've just met Goldberg. You know, this is amazing. And then I got to meet Norman Smiley. And and the funniest thing was they were doing a show at the London Arena, I think it was, which was the Nitro 2000, may well have been. Um, and that was being filmed. And anyway, my, my seats were directly next to... Um, Norman Smiley's sister, <laughs> Carol. Carol, who's a, who's a, uh, who's a British oh, citizen. <laughs> no, Carol. No, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and um, anyway, yeah, just got chatting to uh, Norman Smiley's sister. I didn't actually know she was his sister at the time until about half an hour into a conversation, which she mentioned it. And um, and then sure enough, we kind of ended up meeting Norman Smiley afterwards. And uh, and yeah, he was he was such a nice guy. And so that was my first real kind of you know um, employee to the WCW guys because you know you can imagine like you know much like everyone else, you know we all start off as like you know sort of massive marks really you know we we all you know we all love the product we all love wrestling we all love the characters and exactly. you know so to so so to meet them you know because hardly any of the wcw guys ever came over really um so when they did you know it was it was kind of a big deal especially for for myself who was such a big wcw fan so uh so yeah goldberg norman smiley scott hall were the first three i think i met at, at various signings and then getting to meet them uh later on it was obviously you know time kind of goes by um you know, just getting to meet people like, you know, work there, like Jeremy Borash, for instance. I mean, that was really cool because, uh, you know, Borash used to run WCW Live, which was one of the very first kind of podcasts around. And, and obviously, he tells me, I, I used to listen to it on my real player and stuff on the internet all the time. And, and you, you hear about it now, and he used to run it from like the bottom of his, you know, in the basement of his flat, in the basement of his house, really. And, uh, you know, it's just funny how, uh, how, you know, have this picture of what you had of, you know how things were done. You know, completely changed for when you actually found out how they were how they were really done. But uh, yeah, those were really cool. So you know, those were you know definitely my favourites. Um, uh, yeah, just learning the inside out of how WCW worked and how it ran, and and hearing the stories from the characters afterwards is, uh, is yeah, you know, <laughs> still makes me happy today. I guess. <laughs> That's good stuff. I mean, I like the idea that. Um... It took you a while to find out who Norman Smiley's sister is. There's a, there's a version in there's a version in the theme here of stories from Vic where he talks to people for a while not knowing who they are. <laughs> I quite like that. That's, that's a... I, 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 can, I can add another one to that. Oh, go um, on, yeah. Go uh, on. Can, I, can I name drop again? One yeah, more yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Um, so at um, at WrestleMania 20, I think it was. Um, I got invited to the Hall of Fame ceremony, and um, at this particular Hall of Fame ceremony, um, the press were allowed. Um, in amongst the wrestlers and things, so my seat was right next to uh, Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> so I sat next. To him. <laughs> so so uh, Bruce Pritchard. So our, our, our you know wrestling guests coming up in the next couple of months. Um, I was sitting next to him during the Hall of Fame ceremony, and so I started a conversation with him and I started chatting to him, and he just looked at me like, going, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> you know. So, uh, so yeah. So talking about these conversations with people who. Uh, you know, <laughs> they may or may not know who you are. Uh, that was one for Bruce. I'm, I'm sure he probably won't remember it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. When we're when we're on stage in July in, uh, <laughs> in various different parts of the country, I'll say to him, Bruce, do you remember <laughs> 13 years ago? <laughs> this guy talking to you. This guy talking to you. This random guy talking to you. Yeah. Just um, yeah. Anyway. You yeah. never know. He's got some. <laughs> Powerful, powerful recall as uh, as Bruce from. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he has. I'm listening sure he to has. his podcast, so we'll uh, we'll find <laughs> out about that. Um, Paul, did you have something? Uh, no, mate. I uh, nothing specific to add from me. Okay. <laughs> just thought you might just thought you might want to talk, just to remind everyone that you're uh, still there. I tell you what, I'm going to talk to you um, because I'm, I plugged earlier on that there's um, that you've had a bit of a show busy week and. Uh, uh, I'm going to come to that now because uh, who? Let's tell everyone. Let's tell. The, let us all find out who Paul has been working with today. Uh, okay, so today um, I have been spending most of my afternoon on the phone. Well, it's not. Uh, well, it's not Jesse off of um, Fat Show here. Today I have been mostly. <laughs> just get on with it. Don't milk it. I have been on the phone 
with former WWE superstar and current uh, Lucha Underground five-star AAA, you name it, everywhere else champion John Morrison. Ooh, excellent! Very nice. Just for just for a natter, or <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we had a little bit of a natter. Um, but, but he told me he was having his breakfast burrito. I had a chat with his dog, but um, other than that, we did manage <laughs> between uh, between chit chat. No, no, stop, 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 stop. You had a chat with his dog. Well, he wouldn't stop barking when I was trying to talk. Oh, that I was see. Kind of you know, I'm that, a, bit... a bit like me, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and tap him up as the as the host the next week, but uh, um, he was too expensive. So um, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the dog, by the way, not John Morrison. <laughs> so Get on. We um, yeah, so we were basically we were conducting press. John is the champion for five star wrestling here in the UK, um, and as some of you know, I might have mentioned this a few times. I've gone freelance recently. I've given up the day job and I've dedicated my whole uh, career in life to wrestling and MMA and the marketing of such one of the first jobs I've been tasked with is to to help out with the promotion of the five star tournament coming up starting June the 10th in Liverpool um, it's an interesting gig it's not what I've done before so um, I was rallying around all the various press contacts that I'd known and, and getting them together for the last week or so uh, culminating in today's media day and we had uh, six interviews that John uh, conducted some press, uh, some prints, some podcasts, a couple of videos as well. Um, and the guy has the patience of a saint in repeating the same um, thing basically six times in a row for three hours. I was very, very impressed and told him such afterwards. I'm not sure I could maintain the enthusiasm after after three hours of repeating myself. But he was really, it was great. It was a really good experience for me. Um, he was a true pro no problems no diva behavior whatsoever really enjoyed it actually but it's very don't know if either of you guys have ever done that before i certainly mm. have very stressful um trying to keep make sure you both sides are happy because it's not like you know you you've got one paymaster and then the others are sort of peripheral you've got to make sure your your stars kept happy make sure the journalists are kept happy and everyone nobody's kept waiting it is a juggling mm-hmm. act um, and one that I just about pulled off, I reckon. I actually, I actually have done it, funnily enough, uh, in Glasgow. I did one day's work for TNA in Glasgow uh, when uh, our good friend, all of us, Simon Rothstein, uh, he couldn't make it up there to uh, Glasgow. Had some other TNA business in London with uh, uh, with Dixie, I think it was. And so um, since I couldn't make it, I sort of stepped into his uh, PR shoes up in Glasgow. But the thing is, I was working myself as well. And I think, the, I, I have a feeling it might have been the only day where there was sort of open press interviews. I think the... Uh, the Manchester and London shows were both TV, so it's a lot harder to do um, press uh, at TV. Well, it's possible, but it's not a lot harder. And the Glasgow one was just a house show, as I recall. So, um, although I might be wrong on that, but I think it was just a house show. Um, and so uh, I did a little bit of that. But what we did, rather than having uh, one or two talent that had to get put along a production line, uh, we had... I'm trying to remember who exactly who it was. It was definitely uh, Bully Ray, Gail Kim, Sting... Mm. Velvet <laughs> Sky, that's definitely those four. I, can't, I mean, it might, might have been one or two more. I'm not certain, but yeah. essentially we had a little room of journalists sort of sat around the outside, and I just sort of moved the wrestler from one one, or sorry, probably the other way around actually. The wrestler sort of sat around the outside, and then moved the uh, uh, the journalist sort of around the room, so everyone got a little turn with everyone else. It was almost like a, after every sort of seven or eight minutes, I blew a whistle, or figuratively, and moved everyone around. But the thing was was that I was supposed to be working as well. I was sort of doing double duty, so I'd been sent by the Sun. Um, to cover the tour 
uh, and that was going to be the only real press day, so I had to get some interviews in that day, but Simon had also given me a few quid to, to work for TNA, so I basically moved everyone around, and then every now and again there was a gap if someone overlapped, and I just went, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I, I actually knew a couple of them. I'd interviewed Bubba the year before and had a really, really good interview with him in Manchester. Um, mm-hmm. one which I got a real kick out of I've, he's got a, a bit of a reputation for being in fact I'll come back to that I've got a good Bubba Ray story I'll come back to that in, in just a second but um, I'd had a good interview with him in Manchester and mm-hmm. um, so he knew me he remembered me from the, the following year so when, when I was showing everyone around he was like you were pressed last year and I'm like yeah I'm, I explained the, uh, how it was working and I know Gail Kim so you know Gail was kind of surprised to see me on the other side of the fence so um, um, those mm-hmm. were cool but um Velvet and Sting were... I mean, I'd interviewed Sting before, but he didn't remember me. Velvet Sky didn't know me. And it was... They were a bit confused when I sort of flicked the microphone on and started asking them questions. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... But, uh, but I, think, I think Paul made a good point, actually, you know, with, with John Morrison and things like that. I mean, you you kind of forget, you know, how, how many people, you know, get asked the same questions over and over again. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and to maintain the enthusiasm, you know, and especially when you're doing all the press in a day, you know, it can be, can be pretty horrendous, really. And um, uh, I remember, you know, one situation where, um, where Joel um, had to interview Brett the Hitman Hart, I think, on uh, for one of their podcasts for uh, for the Sun newspaper, and um, and I think Brett had had a kind of full day of media or whatever else, and then you know came to see Joel, and and obviously we were sitting in the studios and, and doing this podcast, and uh, and you know trying to get trying to get something out of Brett Hart, you know, at the best of times is, is a tough task, but you know trying to trying to get something out of him, you know, once he's had you know kind of like a Know, a full day of media as well you know it's just going to be you know just incredibly difficult really and um, and so you know the thing is what you have to be is you've got to try and be clever a little bit sometimes and, and I just I'll never forget Joel was just so clever he just you know he was trying to get some good answers out of Brett and nothing was coming out nothing was you know everything was just straight by the book and stuff and then Joel just comes out with um, so um you wrestled the Killer Bees once. Yes, I knew that was where the story was going. I was hoping that was going to be the Killer Bees story. Because I hope you, because uh, I understand you wrestled the Killer Bees once, and then Brett was just like, "What?" Because <laughs> yeah, I said the Killer Bees. You wrestled them. You wrestled them. You must wrestle them a number of times during the uh, the late eighties and early nineties. And he's like, "Yes." And he's like, "So what did you think? What did you think of the Killer Bees?" And he goes, and then he just cracked up, didn't he? I think he just laughed. And he goes, I never ever thought I'd be in in London, England, talking about the Killer Bees in like 2013 or whatever it was. Oh, it was way, way, about. way longer ago. I'm trying to get. Yeah. Up. It was. Yes. I'm it may, we're talking well been like 2011 or something or whatever else. But this was it. And then suddenly after that, he was a completely different person. Well, and he when... suddenly opened up, and he and he was you know answering things well and with with humour and everything else. But sometimes it takes something like that to you know just open. Open, open those floodgates a little bit. You know? I, love that you've told they... that, I love that you've told that story because it, I've got so many tangents I can go on here. First, <laughs> first of all, it's when his yep. book came out. It was promoting the book. I put that interview together because I was... Um, I was doing some work um, with Ebury Press um, who bought the rights... I don't know if it was under the Ebury Press name, but under whatever the, um, the, the publishing house name was, Ebury bought the, the rights to Brett's book. And I was do- they contacted me and I was doing some work with them in terms of should they buy the rights and how would they design it. And I remember them sending me a design for the, mm-hmm. what was going to be the English cover. Mm-hmm. And it was red and yellow. 
all of the stuff <laughs> was in red and yellow and I called them and went you can't do that that's Hogan that's like you know that's the the biggest insult you can, if you've read the book the biggest yeah. insult you can give to Brett is to make him bloody Hogan colours so I was like <laughs> this has got to be pink white and black and nothing else and it's like yeah, yeah I'm, I've never been all that fond of the cover except for the fact that uh, <laughs> it's got my quote on it <laughs> Um, but yeah. apart from my quote, I don't think it's the greatest cover, but I did have a bit of an influence on it because I made them not to do it red and yellow. <laughs> uh, but I was working with e- I was working with Ebri, and I just started working for the Sun, or within the last year or two, uh-huh. um, and I was still writing for Fighting Spirit. So I I put together that interview because Simon and Joel did a wrestlecast, and then straight afterwards Brett came and sat down with me on a sofa, and we did uh, an interview for Fighting Spirit, which was my uh, last front cover actually of, of Fighting Spirit when I, when I was working there but you're absolutely I mean I almost can't fault that story at all that Vic's told about the killer bees and it's what I will say was that Joel did it deliberately um, yeah. it wasn't a uh, just thrown out there I'm running out of things to say uh, and it wasn't even a kind of I think you wrestled them once Joel, he, he went you know some of the, some of my favourite matches you had were with the killer bees you know tell us about yeah. that and you're right Brett smiled and laughed <laughs> and he told the story and I'm fairly certain you can go back and listen to the if, if Wrestlecast is still available on any platform um, if you can go, or you've got them stored up, if you can go back and listen, I, I'm fairly certain it's about 15 minutes later, Brett sort of chuckles and says, I can't believe you asked me a question about the killer bees. But you're, you're so right, though, because he did, he loosened up. He'd been doing a signing, that's what it was. He'd been at Waterstones or WH Smith or something like that and done like a couple, uh-huh. of, couple of hours worth of a, of a book signing. Right. And then he came and joined us in some grotty uh... little um, studio somewhere in London. Yeah. Um mm. But it's when not not long after the book came out, and it's 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 a couple of years before he went back to, um, to TV. I think it's around mm-hmm. about. I think we talked about WrestleMania 25. Wow. So, so I think it puts it as being 2009 then. Wow. Yeah, um, you may well be right. Yeah, 2009 could, could well be right. Because yeah. sh- he said he. I, I remember one of the thrusts of his argument, not argument, but one of the thrusts of his discussion was. You know, watching Bretton Taker, he loved that mm. match so much. Um, yeah. No, sorry, not Bretton Taker, Sean and Taker. He, Sean he, loved, and Taker. he, he loved that match so much at WrestleMania 25, and he said he felt really proud of both guys, and I think it brought him back to wrestling a bit. I don't think he watched a lot of wrestling until that point, and I, I think it sort of brought him back into the fold. And um, Paul will then think, tell me when. I think what you should, yeah, oh, sorry, Rob, just look, go ahead. I think what you should have done is just when you had the uh, when you had the cover in. Uh, so you've you've obviously received a print of uh, Bret Hart's. Uh, uh, book cover and it's all in kind of yellow at the front. I think you should have showed it to him and gone, look, we, we realised what a fan of the Killer Bees you were back <laughs> in the day. Had you like this cover? I tell you <laughs> and what, maybe I do a forward by by Jim Brunzel or something. You know, just uh, changing your name to Jim Brunzel. <laughs> be Brian Blair. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah. Be super, uh, <laughs> um, I wonder if I can find. Would I get in trouble if I posted that? I'm going to look through my my eight-year-old email inbox and see if I can find the cover that I got. So I'll, have a dig, oh, I'll have a dig around. That'd be that'd be amazing. But would I get into trouble for doing that or not? Nah, I'm sure it'd be okay. I'll be right. I'll have to have a, have to have a think about that. But um, yeah, uh, yeah well, we we just spent. In fact, in fact, let me get a timeline on it because um, Paul will know this. So when was when was the uh, the TNA WWE head-to-head? When they when they went on the Monday, when Brett came back opposite Hogan, was that 2010? That was 2010 because I was away on my honeymoon when it happened. Right. <laughs> All right. So I, yeah, this was this was definitely definitely before Brett came back into the fold. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But he did throw out one or two. It certainly wasn't. I'm definitely coming back. But he threw out mm. one or two things as if to say, yeah. you know, I, I would be open yeah. to it. So this is probably oh, yeah. this is about this time of year. It's probably about so it's probably about May 2009. Yeah. The interview that we're talking about. 
Yeah. I mean, back back in the day, you know, obviously, you know, I said, you know, I used to be involved with a lot of the independent promotions around the UK and things. And, you know, I was quite fortunate in that, you know, I used to do a lot of other work as well, you know, for, for The Sun and One Wrestling at the time and, uh, you know, all these uh, all these wrestling websites and online uh, presence. I used to have a uh, podcast I used to run here called uh, Power Slam Radio. Yes. And, um, and, uh, and, amongst all these guests I used to interview you know a lot of the times I'd, I'd do all these audio interviews and I'd do like a, a written transcript of them and I'd just be sitting on this audio with half the stuff that hasn't even been used so uh, so I've gone right it's got to be you know a market in this really so I decided to, uh, to start my own kind of podcast really which was oh wow well, 1999 2000 probably I think we, we started up the first one and and um, and you know we used to get all these guests on all the time and I was quite fortunate you know in that you know, using the contacts I had and everything else, I was able to interview um, a lot of these wrestlers on these kind of media days. And what you would find, you know, typically when you do go to interview them, you, you try and work out what kind of mood are they going to be in. So you kind of put in a couple of questions just to see, you know, are they in a good mood? Are they not? You know, and, and you know, because for them, you know, if you're getting the same question asked over and over and over again, you know, it's just, you know, just really tiring, really boring. But, you know, if you can be completely different from everyone else out there and ask questions, oh, hey, how are you liking London so far? You know, where have you been to? You know, <laughs> you know what's uh, what's been the best pint you've had so far? All right, so speaking of pints, you must have some really good drinking stories with, you know, the rest of your buddies in the WWE or something like that, you know? And then suddenly that, you know, turns into a completely different interview from, you know, from what they were what they were possibly expecting, I guess. Um, terrific, yeah, terrific advice. I, 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 I <laughs> no, genuinely, I, I totally echo that. In fact, that particular Brett interview day, I remember he effectively started my interview because he came and sat with me uh, and Joel's girlfriend at the time and came and said to us, "Hey guys, did you guys watch WrestleMania?" And we started talking about it, and I just flicked my recorder on and we just had a chat for about forty-five minutes. It was. It hmm. came out. I didn't sit down and formally start an interview. He came and started talking, hmm. and clearly, I didn't make it. I wasn't secretive about turning it on. I was clearly starting the interview, but uh, mm-hmm. um, that was a similar sort of thing. And yeah, I, I particularly remember when um, Joel and Simon did uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin for WrestleCast. Um, I can yeah. remember exactly what you're just saying. I can remember uh, uh-huh. Joel saying, "You got it last night," and yes, Austin went, "Yeah, <laughs> a few pints, a few pints of Guinness," and it was like, yeah. I, I remember that being the start. And who better to? Uh, to start off a podcast by uh, by talking about that kind of thing. The worst interview I've ever had. Um, so the the one person I had to interview one time was uh, was uh, do you remember Mordecai? Yeah, yeah, Kevin. I've interviewed I've interviewed him actually as Kevin Thorne. Um, oh yes, yeah, as yeah. Kevin Thorne. Yeah. Yes. So have you interviewed Kevin Thorne as as Kevin Thorne in character? No, no. It was um, it was a very I never actually I never aired it. It was a very pissed off Kevin Thorne. Yes, uh, that's one, exactly what I got at too. A, at a one yeah. PW show in Liverpool, which I've talked about before in really? the podcast, okay. where everything went everything went very wrong, and uh, so I uh, <laughs> I ended up not really. It wasn't politically good for anyone because he was pissed off and yeah. the uh, product wouldn't um, come across so well. So I, I left. I had it. Was a nice guy. I liked him. <laughs> I had him on a WWE media day, and um, and he was in character. He oh. was in character throughout the entire time, and so all these questions, or you know, anything he would answer would be to do with his character. So like, as in, I don't know, what was he? Was he a vampire or something or whatever else? Well, no, no, so, Kev, so well, Kevin Thorne or well, later was the vampire on ECW, but Mordecai was sort of like a. I don't know how you describe him, but sort of like or, and, yeah, and, a negative of the Undertaker, I suppose, sort of like all in white. <laughs> I and so. yeah, I, yeah, I never really got what Mordecai was meant to be—some sort of um, sort of weird very, spiritual figure. 
you know, you kind of you, you want to ask them as you know as you know themselves really. You want to ask them questions that relate to you know to themselves the person rather than the character they're playing. But you know, this person was you know I guess probably been given you know told by the WWE you have to maintain your character at all times. Um, so you know, every question was like, oh well, you know, uh, we don't. I don't know. I would ask him something about drinking or something. You know, have you had a pint here in London so far? Oh, we don't, we don't drink in the dark side, something like that. You know, and that was that was pretty much how it would go. Everything was related to the dark side or or, or whatever his character had come from and things like that. So it was just, I, you know, I literally just cut it off after about four minutes. I'm going like this. I'm I'm not going to get anything out of you at all. Anything worthwhile. Um, which is uh, a bit pointless, really. But hey, you know, they do do that sometimes. You know, I mean, if you if you do. If you do get to go around the block and you know interview a lot of these guys, sometimes you know um, the company WWE, you know whoever it might be, TNA, WCW back in the day, you know do insist sometimes that the uh, the person has to maintain their character. They do, and um, Paul will know that I, I told this story a couple of weeks ago. I'll keep it brief, but um, uh, I interviewed Jay Lethal when he was still in the uh, the Black Machismo <laughs> right. uh, gimmick about <laughs> glory, and that was uh, that was like pulling teeth. Um, um, but I mentioned actually this is a good way of getting back to it I mentioned that I had a good Bully Ray story I'll tell it now Um, Mm -hmm. which is that I am in a very lucky and privileged position or at least I was for a few years where um, I was I don't know how to put this but I was pretty in with TNA and from a journalistic point of view Paul was different Paul worked for them um, you know, obviously our friend Simon worked for them and you know, uh, you sort of around other people Vic were in a different sort of position but I was a journalist so I was sort of on the outside really um, so I should have just been to have a bit of a journalist company relationship but I didn't um, and I would say that Pat Lennon similar to me from the start we were kind of in with the company a little bit and so um, very much the opposite of, of WWE where I struggled for many years with the Sun the relationship that we had but um, with TNA things were very different and so I won't say I had the run of the buildings but I often was able to sort of, sort of float around and talk to people and if you know, TNA would put some people up on a media day I was able to say, you know, Simon, any chance of so-and-so and and get a little bit of a private audience. And generally that went. So um, not bragging. I'm just telling you the story as it was. And when we were getting to this tour, I said, Si, I really want to speak to to Bully Ray, as he was then, Um, because this was right in the start of the the Bully Ray singles push, um, Mm -hmm. as I recall, um, at the start of it when he was very, very, very good um, Mm -hmm. for a good, you know, year or so. And it was in Manchester... And I remember sitting down, but I've heard lots of bad stories about, you know, Bubba, as, as, he, as he tends to call himself. And um, I sat down with him. It was just in a, a room backstage at the MEN Arena, as it was then. And I explained who I was and, you know, and that kind of thing and what I was up to and, you know, who I was writing for. And he quite quickly, you know, asked me if I was a football fan. And I I was intending to talk to him about football anyway, and I knew he was a football fan. So we talked quite a bit about uh, Milan, as he called them, not AC mm-hmm. Milan, he was very keen to say. Yeah, it, it, is, it is Inter and it is Milan. <laughs> there are two different teams, not Inter Milan and not AC Milan. But, um, <laughs> so we, we talked a little bit about that and we talked about some um, footballers that would make good wrestling characters. We talked about Balotelli and we talked about Gattuso that would be good wrestling characters. Mm. Um, Gattuso would have made a great character. He, yeah. he was the one I bought at Balotelli and, and certainly um, uh, Bubba <laughs> went, you know who I'd like? Gattuso. And so we, 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 we talked about that. Um, and I remember us having a disagreement. We were talking about chair shots to the head, and I fr- straight up and said, "Look, I think it's wrong. Why would you guys do this anymore? It doesn't make any sense." And he came back with a rebuttal. I disagreed with him. He disagreed with me, but it wasn't a fallout. I wasn't being a smart-ass journalist. He wasn't being a prick worker. 
and we had a straight up conversation about it. It's one of the fa- my favourite interviews ever. It's about twenty minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer. And I remember yeah. Simon coming in and saying, um, uh, uh, I don't know what he called him actually, because he can't surely have come in and gone, um, bully. He probably did, <laughs> he, he probably did call him Bubba. He put him um, Bubba this year. <laughs> Like catering's here, sort of catering's ready, sort of thing, which is kind of code for you know wrap things up. It's a good way of being able to wrap something up, and that's not a slight on Sai. I know the I know the drill. I know how it works. It's giving the rest of the out to, to wrap something up. And he went, Snow. He went, I'm not one of these prima donnas that has to get my food. He went, that can wait. That's not a problem. I want to carry on with the interview. And I was like, that Brilliant. was a pretty cool sign for me. So we did another ten minutes or so, and I remember yeah. him getting to a point where he went, so and so and so and so, and I really need to go to the bathroom. And it was, a, it was a laugh, and he got up and he went, and he went, but we can carry on. He said, if you want, I'll, I'll come back. And I went, to be honest, I said, you've given me more than enough of your time. This has been absolutely great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so I had a ball. I can't remember if I used it on the one-sided ring or not. I think I did. Um, I'll see if I can dig it out. But Did you um, did you uh, ask him about uh, doing dives off the top rope by any chance? Uh, I did not, but uh, that's uh, okay. a bit of a story at the moment, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> but it was a uh, but what I'm saying is it was an absolutely cracking interview, and it was on let's yeah. say the Saturday in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Fast forward just over 24 hours. It's London. Um, they've done a double TV taping, I think. Um, we're at the bar at Wembley Arena, like we've talked about so many times, including on this podcast. And there he was at the bar on his own. I had, I happened to have on a black and blue sort of stripy shirt, which was a little bit like uh, Inter's first team kit. Oh, right. So I wandered <laughs> over and I patted him on the shoulder. And I went, can I just say, um, great show tonight. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again for yesterday. I've uh, put an Inter shirt on just for you. And he looked and he sort of snarled and he sort of raised his head and went, uh, and turned around and went back to his beer. And I thought, <laughs> you prick, after giving me all that time yesterday, blah, 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 blah. And then it dawned, I sort of walked away, I thought, okay. And then it dawned on me, I thought, do you know what? He's in a vaguely public place. It was full of um, sponsors and, uh, you know, various other people that he didn't know. He didn't really know the audience that was yeah. around him. The yeah. guy was in character. His character yeah. had lost his two matches that night. Mm. Why would he be happy at the bar? He'd lost... And I respected him for that. Now, some people go, ah, he's just a prick, that's what he's like. But he was at, he did not have to be as charming and as fun as he was with me for half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, the following year in Glasgow, he remembered me. We had another very cool interview. So he's been nothing but first class with me. On mm-hmm. those two occasions doing interviews at the bar, different story. But I choose to believe that that was a bit of a kayfabe moment. He mm-hmm. may, hey, listen, it may have been he'd had a Barney with someone, he was just in a bad mood. Maybe I was drunk and was being an asshole. That's possible as well. But I, <laughs> but I, te- I take it to think he was, that, was the, that was the old school in him thinking, nope, I need to be down because I've lost. And I've got, a, I've got an amount of respect for that. But that was, that's my just... kind of Bully Ray story. Just briefly on that, um, just very recently, I was uh, I got a chance to meet um, one of one of our top British talents at the minute, uh, Jimmy Havoc. Yep. And um, and you know he's been going great guns both here and abroad, and and I was uh, fortunate enough to meet him out in the US recently, and um, so we struck up a conversation about a number of things, but uh, but one of the things was um, obviously you know he's you know it's been this massive heel for for ages over here and. Uh, and uh, you know, I asked him, you know, kind of, oh, so you know, so what happens when you're in a bar and and you know somebody comes up to you and you know, I don't know, you know do you stay in character? Do you not? You know, what what kind of happens? And he goes, uh, and you recall this one story, and he goes, this this one guy who was kind of hovering around, uh, he saw kind of Jimmy from a distance in a pub in London, and uh, and he was kind of like kind of too scared to kind of go up to him, and then 
Jimmy just looked at him and just went like, what? And the guy goes, uh, you're, you're Jimmy Havoc, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, and what? And he goes, can I get you a beer? And he's like, go on then, I'll, I'll have like whatever, Guinness. He's like, okay. So this guy travels over, waits in the queue for about 15 minutes and then comes back with a Guinness and like kind of hands it to uh, hands it to Jimmy. And then he just kind of stands there. And so Jimmy just starts drinking his beer, starts chatting to, continues to chat to all his mates and this other guy's just hanging there. And then Jimmy just turns around to him and he goes, what are you still here for? Fuck off. <laughs> and then just kind of went like, oh, and then he was like, and I'm like, oh no, that poor fan. What did you do that to him for? Why, why would you possibly do that? He goes, do you know what? He goes, it was all good. Later on that evening, he goes, I got a tweet from the same fan, and he all he wrote was, he goes, just got told to fuck off by Jimmy Havoc. Best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. Yeah, so you know, you know, we do get it, don't we? Like you said, you know, you went up to Bobby Ray at that time, you know, Bully Ray and. You know, we do get it. You know, it's uh, you know, they're in a public place. They got to be in a in a certain character, or you know, be a certain way, really. I've no issue. With, I have no issue with that. And I will say that um, uh, I do know how it works in terms of if people go up to uh, to Jimmy Havoc and make an ass of themselves, is that they get thrown out of a hooked on wrestling party, as has happened. <laughs> so <laughs> Jimmy's Jimmy's a good friend of hooked on. The only reason Jimmy wasn't at the WrestleMania party because he was at bloody WrestleMania. <laughs> working in a WWE ring access, but uh, right. for the for the Rumble party, he was uh, he was sat with us for uh, uh, at, uh, at the at the venue down at Temple in uh, Walkabout. So uh, he's a good friend of ours. So uh, he's a good lad. Is uh, is Jimmy? Um, WrestleMania. Well, let's touch on WrestleMania really briefly before we get on mm-hmm. to um, talking about some of our Vader stuff this evening. Um, you were at WrestleMania this year. Of um, yes. uh, How much fun? Um, incredibly fun, actually. It was it was really really good fun. It was long. It, it did drag. I won't lie to you. Um, I mean, with the pre-show and everything else, it was about seven hours. I think you'd, you'd probably you know would have seen that as well from from this side as well. But uh, I mean, the weather weather was fantastic. You know, it was it was boiling hot day. It was uh, it was really good. But um, yeah, it's about seven hours with the pre-show. It didn't. It probably didn't feel like seven hours to be fair. But you know, it was it was really long. The pre-show was fantastic. I mean, I'm a big New England Patriots fan, so to be able to see Rob Gronkowski enter a WWE ring when he was allowed to finally by security to to kind of go in and uh, and uh, you know sort of help defeat Jinder Mahal, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, as as the event went on, I mean, the, the biggest pop of the night, I think, you know, as you probably would have seen in in the bars, I guess, across the country, really, was was that for for the Hardy Boys. And um, obviously the Hardys had wrestled for Ring of Honor the night before, and there's obviously rumors, you know, are they, aren't they, will they, won't they? But you know, until you actually see it, and until that music hit, I mean, nobody, you know, really knew for sure. And and the way the New Day, you know, kind of did it, you know, it was pretty clever as well in the fact that they came out all dressed out in their wrestling gear, and you thought actually the New Day are going to wrestle, they're going to be the extra team, and then suddenly when that Hardys move boys music hit I mean I, I the last time I heard a pop like that was probably like for like Hogan at Wrestlemania 18 you know which I also happened to be at really so uh, it was it was such an incredible atmosphere actually and and you know and quite a significant mania I guess in the end you know with the fact you know what what happened with The Undertaker um, you know potentially you know his, his last match and uh, and you know, years removed, you know, I said this, this was actually my, my fourth WrestleMania. So the, the ones I've been to previously, I went to 18 and 20, and then I went to um, 31, and then now this one, really. So, um, 
but the, at WrestleMania 20, I got to see Brock Lesnar against Goldberg at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, the two of them got completely booed out of the building on that occasion. And there was me being a big WCW fan going, oh, Goldberg at least got the win. Come on, Goldberg got the win. And then nobody really cared. And then now fast forward and, you know, it was just such an epic match between the two. I mean, I thought it was fantastic the way it was booked. But uh, fortunately, Goldberg didn't get the win on this occasion. But uh, I think all round, you know, despite some of the boos Goldberg got, I think, you know, it was a, it was a pretty pretty awesome match. So, um, so all in all, yeah, great, great mania. Really enjoyed it. If you've never been to WrestleMania before, I mean, I would, I would, you know, recommend it so highly. I mean, it's a lot of money. I won't lie to you, you know. But you know, if you can save up, you can afford to do it. Then definitely, definitely do do it. Get a group of mates together if you want, or convince your partner and and just get out there and go do it. New Orleans next year, you know, I may well be there again next year. And and if you can't do it, if you can't do it, you know, WrestleMania, and you can't get out there, then. I would say the next best thing is to join us at one of our Hooked On Wrestling parties where we try and bring, you know, a bit of flavour of WrestleMania to you, really. I tell you what, Paul, how good was that? How smooth was that, by the way? Because we've not even prompted him to do that. It was quality, <laughs> wasn't it? Definitely we keep Vic around, because he is smooth as silk. <laughs> Since he mentions it, um, we don't actually have um, the, uh, the SummerSlam... Uh, WrestleMania, uh, sorry, SummerSlam, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, hooked on wrestling party information uh, as such just yet, but we um, we're not far away from that. I'm hoping Paul will be able to start talking about that quite soon. Yeah, I would imagine mid June. I think was so in about three weeks. We'll definitely start talking about that in earnest. Cool. So yeah, but um, for uh, those of you that are uh, familiar with our pay per view parties, fear not, we'll be uh, uh, around the country with our uh, SummerSlam bashes. We don't have a, an exact number on how many we're doing as yet, but it will be plenty. So uh, there will be some, there will be one that not a million miles away from you, and there certainly will be uh, one in London at Walkabout Temple, which is the flagship where the three of us uh, will be. Um, since we're doing some plugging, this feels like a good time. Um, we've talked about it on shows before, but we need to tell you once again, we're so happy to. Uh, be able to say that the uh, the famous something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard podcast which you've all grown to know and love on the airwaves over the last uh, uh, six or eight months or so uh, we are bringing Bruce over here it's his first ever UK engagement since the podcast has been going if you listen to Bruce and Conrad's show every week they seem to add some new dates um, they're going all over America now uh, we actually got on this quite early they'd only done one show um, we only booked in one show um, when we first got them. Now they're booked everywhere. All sorts of pay-per-view dates, all sorts of dates in New York and uh, big cities over in the uh, in the States. But they will be coming here in July. Uh, originally it was to come to Birmingham, Manchester and London. But as we announced last week, we are going international over the uh, Irish Sea anyway. And we will be going to Dublin to kick off the tour. And I'm sure Paul will have the dates and how to get hold of tickets. Paul? Absolutely. So yeah, we're yeah we're really excited to be getting Bruce over. Um, especially excited to see the feedback from the Dublin date, which went on sale last Friday. Um, it's limited numbers and tickets just got swamped. We've sold out fifty percent of those tickets already, so that's an absolutely phenomenal response. Uh, Bruce is really chuffed because he was a secret little bit a little bit gutted we didn't propose an island date before because I think he sees it as his homeland his motherland so he's quite chuffed to be getting back there and he's going to put in an extra special effort um, for the fans out there so that's actually going to open our tour now it's going to be the uh, Saturday night 15th of July uh, it's going to be there in uh, Dublin at the Cowshed Bar and Grill um, you can get your tickets Wool Shed 
sorry, Woolshed barring yeah, your match, continuously get that wrong. Uh, can, <laughs> the main one I keep saying is Woolpack. <laughs> That's Emmerdale. Emmerdale style. <laughs> I'll get there. Okay, so the Woolshed Bar and Grill. Um, tickets for the Dublin day are available from the um, our Irish ticket agent, which is Billetto.ie. That's B-I-L-L-E-T-T-O dot I-E. Um, then we move over to the UK, move to England for Birmingham on Sunday, the 16th of July. Um, we're going to be at the Around the World Bar there. It's one of the venues we use for um, our party in the city. I was there for the Bama Wayans on uh, Thursday last week. Um, they're going to be there. That's Sunday the 16th. Then we move to Manchester to the Comedy Store. And that's Monday the 17th. And that's the Comedy Store in Deansgate. Great venue. We've had some previous wrestling tours there that have been big successes. Yep. Paul I've, been, I've been there the many, one. many times. Yeah, you've hosted there a few times, haven't you, Rob? Mm. Um, and then we close the tour in London um, at our spiritual home, Walkabout Temple, um, our favourite sports bar in the whole country. Um, and that is going to be on Tuesday, the 18th of July. Um, after that, we will send a bit of fond farewell to Bruce. And it might well be the only time he tours the Something to Wrestle With podcast in the UK. So make sure you get your tickets now. The UK dates, you can get them from three different places. Hookedonevents.co.uk, which is our own website. Um, or you can go to wegottickets.com or ringsideworld.co.uk. It is worth saying that uh, there's quite an easy way of doing it as well. Is if you just Google Bruce Pritchard and then the name of the city, uh, you'll tend to find those things quite quickly if you're getting a bit confused on the uh, on the ticket agents. And if there's any problems, just give us a shout and we will uh, be able to hook you up. Um, for those of you thinking about coming to the London show, I'm going to say this to you. Temple Walkabout is, as Paul said, an absolutely fantastic venue. We love them to bits. They love us. We've got a great relationship. It's going to be the last night of the tour. Bruce likes a beverage or two, as do I. <laughs> We're going to be having some fun with that one. We know our audience in London. It'll be a nice big venue. There's some good stuff that's, uh, that's on sale on the taps. That's going to be a great night, okay? So make sure you, uh, uh, if you're thinking, if you're in the middle of the country somewhere and you're thinking about which one to go to, get to London. That's the one I'm looking forward to. But we're so happy to be going to Ireland, like Paul says. That's gone so fast already, uh, tickets moving. Um, particularly if you're looking for VIP tickets, folks, don't hang around on those kind of things because you may think, ah, the show's still, you know, two or three months away. It may be, and you may be able to get tickets later on, but VIP ones are going at a fair uh, fair rate. Um, have they all gone in, in Ireland already, Paul? Is that right? There's a handful left. Small bit left, small platinum. bit left. Yeah, both of, the, both of the platinum and for the VIP, but it is not many. So uh, well, I know it went just like that. There was, it's the biggest first day we've had in any venue, and it just went bang like that. So um, Yeah, it did. And that's without that even being mentioned on Bruce's podcast yet, which is always usually the biggest hit we get. So true, um, actually. Yeah, because we announced it that same. They'd have, they'd have done their recording already, hadn't they? they? So, yeah, recorded, so. yep. So it won't be mentioned until this week's podcast, so you want to get in before yeah, that. There is a fair chance then, Ireland, because it's a small venue. The other ones are of... Uh, uh, a bit bigger and should um, we should be able to have tickets uh, on sale for quite a while at those ones but the island one is a small venue so uh, if you're if you're around Dublin and you're thinking of coming don't hang around on that one and we've had a few questions about uh, content uh, for the shows we keep it a little bit vague at the moment but what we can say um, is that they will be specifically tailored content uh, to the market so um, we're not going to be um, just doing for no apparent reason you know say Royal Rumble 2001 
um, we won't be doing something that would impinge on the uh, on the on the podcast themselves. There will be tailored stuff. So we'll be doing some um, some British-based stuff when we're in uh, when we're in England. We'll be doing some Irish stuff when we're in Ireland. Um, but there is still a bit of room for us to sort of tailor what we're talking about. Um, and if there's things that you want us to talk about, send us suggestions. We'll we'll think about it and we'll have a chat to Bruce and Conrad because um, Conrad is not coming. We want to address that. Some people have asked about that. Conrad isn't coming. I'm going to be hosting. Um, but Conrad is essentially going to be my Vince McMahon in my ear shouting things at me. Um, <laughs> to, 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 actually, not really, but he's going to be doing the bulk of the research, um, genning me up on things. Um, and so I will be heavily Conrad influenced on the night. It's not just going to be me doing my thing. I'm going to be a bit of a Conrad spokesperson. Um, but I'm more than happy to do that because it is their podcast, which they've made fantastic. I'm just going to try and add my little spin to things as well. But and all the shows will involve a Q&A. So we, we will have a, uh, an open forum if you have if there is a question that you've always wanted to, um, uh, to ask Bruce, which you'll be able to do so any of the venues. Uh, just make the questions good and make them original. Um, I recall saying one night on uh, on stage, it was we were hosting Bret Hart for PSI events at uh, at the Comedy Store in Manchester, and I remember saying on stage, and Brett got a kick out of this, because I said, uh, if you guys, I said, make your questions original, but I said, but not too niche that no one else will care. I said, for example, if you are interested in that match that Bret Hart had with Ricky Steamboat in 1986, why he put his right leg in first rather than his left leg when applying the sharpshooter, just remember this, no one else gives a shit. And uh, <laughs> Brett thought that was hilarious, and it's like, but it's true. It's like if he explains that, no one else cares. So let's keep it light. But that is not to say that if you haven't got a great question, you're dying to ask Bruce, and you think he'll have some great stories about it that you can entertain everyone. Absolutely, feel free, and uh, we'll be able to uh, to get to your questions hopefully on all of those nights. Um, so we really, really look forward to seeing you um, for all of those. Like we say, Bruce Pritchard. Uh, something to wrestle with in the UK on all our social media hookedonevents.co.uk and uh, just generally Google search and we'll be happy to um, to fill you in if you have any questions Okay, it's time to get on to the best of times the worst of times so far we have had um, some interesting discussions about the careers of Bret Hart about The Rock uh, about Edge this week we are going to be discussing the man they call Vader. That was his WWE moniker. He was just Vader at some points. He was big Van Vader for the bulk of his career, uh, both in WCW and in Japan. And now, as you've noticed from earlier in the show, Vic is somewhat of a WCW aficionado. <laughs> Paul and I will admit, not quite so. But I am familiar with the Vader character. I've been watching some uh, some matches online this week, thanks to the uh, the WWE Network, as I know that Paul has. Um, so what this what this segment is about, um, it is about uh, we are going to decide what we are going to put into a fictional time capsule as the best match or a flagship match anyway of Vader's career. So far, uh, we've put in for example for um, for Bret Hart's career we put in Bret versus um, Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13, um, and the idea being that if uh, you were to dig up a time capsule and say what is Bret Hart about. That is the match that we're putting forward. Um, so we're going to do that now for Vader. I am going to suggest a match. In fact, Paul is going to go first. It's his turn. Paul will suggest a match. I will suggest a counter to that. And then Vic <laughs> will decide between one of those two. But in between times, we'll have a little bit of a chat about some other matches, some other moments from his career. And since the segment is called Best of Times, Worst of Times, we will also look at some of the down periods uh, that Vader had. So, um, Paul, would you like to kick us off with your choice um, that Vic will have to ponder in a few minutes' time for mm -hmm. the Vader match. 
Yes, I will, Rob. Uh, okay, so as you mentioned, my background is very WWE centric. Um, I became a WWE fan in '91, and I didn't watch any WCW until actually the first episode of Nitro I watched um, was the episode Scott Hall came in. Um, my Ooh, buddy spooky. Johnny. That's Dawson. the same as me. Have we talked about this before? <laughs> That's exactly the same no. as me. The first time I ever watched Nitro, Hot Scott Hall appeared. How bizarre. Well, my buddy Johnny Byrne had been uh, badgering me for weeks at school, months even, to watch WCW, telling me what was happening. And some of it sounded great, some of it sounded ridiculous. But eventually I decided to take the plunge. Um, and obviously the NWO kicked in straight away, and I was pretty much hooked. Um, but my, my knowledge of uh, WCW prior to that is pretty much um, restricted to a couple of things. Um, those awful action figures that were so crappy compared to the WWF <laughs> ones at the time that when Ric Flair won the Royal Rumble and I found out about that before I actually got to watch it, I was actually pissed off. Not because he was a, a dastardly heel, but because he had a crappy action figure. Um, <laughs> and that, that was my reason being upset about it. Um, the other exposure to WCW was um, an annual that I was given that was a, co a compilation, I think, of various WCW comic strips, fictionalised versions of actual WCW events, one of which being Ron Simmons winning the world title from Big Van Vader, which brings us back to today's subject. Um, so obviously Vader, I'm really familiar with his, his career path. Haven't seen a huge amount of what he's done outside of the big matches, but I think I've seen enough to make a decision on this. Um, first of all, I think it's fairly accepted that his best work did come from WCW. There were, there were some highlights in WWF, which I'm sure we'll come on to and discuss later. But I'm going with a match that um, I, I saw maybe maybe a month after I got the WWE Network, I decided that this was the match. This is the first WCW pay-per-view I was going to watch. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was a match that headlined Starcade 1993. Um, and it was a match where Vader put his WCW title on the line against Ric Flair with the stipulation that if Ric Flair lost, his career was over. Ric Flair was a face at this point. Um, and in the story going into it was that he had to put his career up to get Vader to agree to this match. It was such an interesting match based on what we knew now. Obviously, Flair's body of work um, is as a heel. But this was by far his crowning WCW moment as a face, in my opinion. Um, he came in as such a sympathetic uh, character. You got the you got uh, the interviews with him, uh, leaving the family home beforehand, kissing his kids goodbye. A very young Charlotte Flair was probably there. I don't recall exactly. She was. Uh, okay. You got a lot. You got a, such a great build up throughout of him of him knowing that he was facing the fight of his life and then when you got into the match itself the odds were stacked against him you had Ric Flair against the absolute monster Vader backed up by his, by his wily cheating conniving manager Harley Race what a team those two made absolutely indestructible wall and Vader played the big bully perfectly he beat the crap out of Ric Flair but at the same time, it wasn't just lumbering big match nonsense. It was brilliant back and forth action. Vader was the master of big man selling, in my opinion. Now, you, there's the argument that he's the best big man ever. I don't really go in for that. But what I will say is there's no 
big man that was able to look quite as vulnerable, quite as realistically as Vader. He was an absolute beast, but there was always a chink in his armour, and it was always as if there was always that possibility that the face would find that little chink, that little weakness, that Achilles heel that would allow them to beat him, but very often they were unsuccessful, and Vader just used his power and his speed and his strength just to beat them down and it, you know, for obviously as, as educated wrestling fans we we probably would know the outcome of this but I think if you'd have seen it live at the time you'd have been absolutely on tenterhooks um, convinced that Ric Flair's career was going to end it was a phenomenal <laughs> from both guys um, and Vader held his own with one of the best wrestlers of all time um, I think it's I think it's Vader's best individual performance I think it's the best match he ever had um, and I'm going with Starcade 93, Flair Vader. A very convincing uh, argument, one which uh, has led me to have several observations. Um, one which I'll say is, um, uh, you talked about the WCW action figures. I just, it just sort of a funny story was that uh, uh, I, I used to collect action figures like a mad thing when I was a kid, uh, to the point where as all my mates started to grow out of having them, I would basically buy them off them. So I've got a stupidly large collection of ones that I didn't buy, but I've procured off of people, um, including the, the, as you said, those WCW ones. They didn't move, did they? They were sort of uh, there were mm-hmm. was no action to them. So all of my um, my Brian Pillman and my Lex Luger and my Arn Anderson and all those ones that uh, that don't move. But I had what was obviously a tag team because they had sort of face paint and sort of long black trousers and and whatever and long flowing hair. And I didn't know who they were. I didn't have a name for them. So I inv- when I was a kid, they became I called them the Mystery Men. And they were Mr. Mystery and Mystic Mo. That's what I called them, right? That was my tag name for them. And probably for ten years not that I necessarily played with them for ten years, but for ten years in my head that was Mr. Mystery and Mystic Mo. And then one day I saw a thing online about all these old action figures and it was Michael Hayes and, and Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> so for, for ten years for ten years the the fabulous Freebirds in WCW in my head were the mystery men, Mr. Mystery and Mystic, <laughs> Mystic Mo. Um the other thing you said was there you talked about Vader's best body of work being in WCW um, there's a thing that we're overlooking and I'm going to overlook it when I give my suggestion but I think probably Vader's best body of work was in Japan J- Japan um, yeah. um, <laughs> when Vader was over there he was a completely different entity um, he was really loved as a there was a real era of those big men um, mm-hmm. probably him and, and Stan Hansen probably epitomising it uh, and indeed the two of them against each other with a very famous match where Vader's eye sort of pops out of its socket thanks to uh, right. Stan Hansen. It's quite it's quite <laughs> gruesome. Um, so from my, so I did a bit of research for this because, like I said last week on the on the podcast, I'm not the biggest Vader. Um, I don't have the biggest Vader knowledge, and there was lots of people suggesting lots of matches with Misawa and and other uh, Japanese wrestlers that I think we probably would consider if we watched um, in context and and all the way through. However, I don't think it's fair to the show to just start naming Japanese wrestlers and, and trying to be cool that way. I suspect that the, the real answer lies in, if you are familiar with New Japan, um, the per- we should have maybe got Meltzer on this week and he could have told us the Japanese matches that Vader <laughs> you know, scored five stars for, or six. Um, but I'm going to keep it North American because I want to do it with ones that we are familiar with. Um, and I agree with you that you know the bulk of his good work in North America would have been uh, in WCW rather than WWF. Um, I very, very nearly picked the match that you've chosen. Um, it really is a great match. It's a terrific story. Um, I don't know if you mentioned the fact that it was actually in Charlotte, Rick's hometown. I think you did, but um, just in case, that's where it was as well. So it added to the uh, to the intrigue. Um, the backstory, I believe, was that um, it was 
probably going to be Vader versus Sid uh, at that Starcade, but that's when Sid had his uh, uh, misdemeanor attacking Arn Anderson on a UK tour with a, was it was it with a squeegee or something like that. I got my stories mixed with up. That might have been him and. With the pair of scissors, the squeegee might have been the Pillman story, but there's a, mm-hmm. certainly an, a, an, an, a misdemeanor with uh, Sid and Arn, which meant Sid disappeared, and they needed someone for the main event, and that's when they called in Rick. Um, uh, and obviously it worked perfectly. The big problem I have with the match is actually the finish. I think it's a really, really weak finish. Um, they do it as a roll-up, with the idea being that Vader wouldn't tap out to the figure four, and that Flair wouldn't be able to do any sort of moves to keep Vader down. So they did a roll-up, which I can understand, but it's a really weak roll-up. The ref starts counting before Vader's shoulders are down. Um, so I, that's my big problem with the match, is that I think it's a really anticlimactic finish that comes out of nowhere and for no real good reason, and I wish that had been tighter. Um, what I will say is that um, the package around it, after the match, they go backstage and Mean Gene has, has the family flair around him, and that's when... Uh, you've got Rick's ex-wife and you've got a young Reed that's there and David and Charlotte and mm-hmm. they're all around. That's a good moment. It feels it feels real. But what's really noticeable is that when they interview Rick, perhaps he was concussed. He was certainly bleeding at the mouth. But we all remember fondly Raw Rumble 92, don't we? And I'm not slagging this off by any, any stretch because I mm-hmm. love the bit where, you know, this whole Rick, with a tear in my eye, the greatest moment of my life. And we all love that. And that's such a great moment. That's heel Rick. But babyface Rick you don't get very often. And actually, it comes across like a sporting interview. So if you just were to get... Um, I'm trying to think of the right... right but maybe like after Novak Djokovic had just won the, the, the US Open or something and you put a microphone in his face, he wouldn't cut a promo on Andy Murray. You know, he would actually say, oh, I'm so grateful to have won this, blah, blah, blah. And that's the flair that you get. And he starts talking about how humble he is. And it's it's not shouting. It's not a promo guy. He's just talking mm-hmm. like a sportsman would. And I love that. They then bring in Sting, who obviously has had his um, issues in the past with, with flair, but they're both baby faces, so Sting puts him over. They bring in Steamboat, who's obviously had matches with flair in the past. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant bit of TV. This is all backstage rather than in the ring. But um, really something you could you could learn from now I mean this is what did you say it was 1993 this is you know 93 yeah 93 so 24 years ago but you really could do something with this if someone big won a title these days you could you know you could do something along those lines anyway I sound like I'm putting over your choice here but I am saying that the, uh, <laughs> the finish itself I think lets it down for me the match I'm going to choose is uh, from around about uh, 18 months earlier it's the Great American Bash 1992 uh, where Vader wins the title from Sting. Um, Vader had come in not a million uh, years before that and had been crashing his way through the um, the opposition. He actually uh, annihilated Sting in a match but then got disqualified a little bit earlier on in the year. This was when they gave him the, uh, the title shot. And if you watch it, in some ways, it's just a straight-up match that Vader wins. Um, and so you might suggest, you know, where's the extra, where's the bells and whistles? Well, some would go for a Vader versus Sting strap match. Um, which I think was at Super Brawl that year. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not big on when when you have to use gimmickry and it's, it's a little bit stiff, it's a little bit too much blood for my taste. Um, I think we need to pick matches that are going to stand up forever and um, increasingly. I'm not saying we were going to use matches that never have blood. Let's face it, the first one we put in was was Brett and Austin, but I think the context of that one was better. This one was a little bit gory, um, so I'm sticking away from that a strap match. Um, but but this one in particular. Vader just looks like a beast 
and we've we've noticed that sometimes on this podcast we've put in batches that um, the one that we're talking about has actually lost them, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Certainly, the uh, um, you know that that would be that would be fine. Like I mean, it was the Bret Hart match that we chose and Bret won, but if, even if it was Austin's choice, that would still kind of work because it would be uh, such a fantastic match. But I want to put Vader in strong here. I want people to see Vader for what Vader could be which was a badass, he looked strong, he looked frightening, he won the match clean with the powerbomb, the finish is amazing, because he hits the powerbomb and then falls straight into it, and it looks like, even if he did just not hit the move, it looks like Sting wouldn't have been able to kick out, because the big body weight of this 400 pounder is wrapping up his legs, um, it's a really good match in terms, Sting has a lot of the early going, Sting has got, outruns him, outfights him, has the babyface spirit, but as the match goes on, Vader wears him down, hits him with big moves, Sting keeps trying to come back, but each time it's kind of weaker and weaker, and in the end Vader sees it out uh, and gets the win. It's a really, really good match, it's a really good performance, it's a crowning of, of a big giant, and these, you know, giants need to get built up to get knocked down, we've talked about mm -hmm. this when we've been talking about Braun Strowman in recent weeks, um, Vic talked earlier on about the uh, the build to WrestleMania 3, um, if you're going to have a big giant that needs to be on top, they need to get knocked down but they need to get there in the first place um for example yokozuna you know um beating you know winning the rumble and then beating bret hart but he got toppled immediately yoko was never allowed to have that you know long stretch straight off he had to lose it to hogan and then get it back and i never thought that helped yoko um this was vader winning clean and winning strong um he would ultimately uh, drop it to ron simmons because vader was injured but he would win it back later on and be strong once again throughout yeah. 1993 so you know, Vader was WCW for two years, basically, as the big nasty heel. Um, and the match that Paul is talking about is a fantastic one. Um, <laughs> but you would not have had the moment of Flair doing that to Vader had you not had Vader winning it in the first place in such monstrous style. Um, so oh. I am going to choose Vader versus Sting from Great American Bash 1992. Shortly, Vic, we're going to ask you for a choice. You're going to pick one of those two to go forward uh, but before we get on to that um, maybe you've got one or two others that are in your brain that you may have put mm. forward if there was a third choice maybe what, what, what might you have sure. um, what jumps to well, your mind well I mean you, you, both of you guys have made like real compelling arguments for uh, for both matches really and, and I think one thing that fans you know obviously these days growing up you know um, you know may not have been at the same round time that you know we were watching the likes of Vader and things. Uh, when you go back now and watch it on YouTube or watch it on the network and things like that, I mean, this guy was just an absolute monster, wasn't he? I mean, you know, with his mask, he wasn't a guy that you really wanted to bump into in an alleyway, would he? No, sir. You know, with, you know, and he was, he was just genuinely scary. You did not want to mess with him. And then, you know, he was so agile for a big man as well, you know? And he was just this absolute monster heel. And so, you know, you've obviously spoken about Japan. Um, you know, he had a great run in Japan, and that's what got him into WCW in the first place. And, you know, for me, my one of my most favorite moments with Vader was his match against Ron Simmons. And the reason why that sticks out was in about 1992. I think it was on WCW Worldwide. And at that point in time, this WCW Worldwide used to be shown on ITV. And so on a Saturday afternoon... You, you know, at about two, three o'clock in the afternoon, you could watch WCW Worldwide, and uh, and I distinctly remember. I think Vader was being uh, built up. He was, you know, he was the champion at the time, and then Ron Simmons had got his first ever title shot at uh, at Vader. And uh, you know, like you said, you know, Vader was always, you know, this big monster heel. But you know, there was 
ever so slightly, there would be a little chink in his armor. And you're going, can anyone ever capitalize on that? And then suddenly, out of nowhere, I mean, I still remember this match. You know, it was an amazing match between the two. But, you know, Ron Simmons hits his amazing, you know, power slam, running power slam on Big Van Vader to uh, defeat him and become, you know, as history shows, the uh, the first ever African-American world champion at the time. So uh, so defeating Big Van Vader in 92, that was uh, that was an amazing match that stands out for me. Uh, both guys, you know, you know, were, were fantastic in the performance, and obviously the history shows that you know how significant it was, you know, especially for you know with Ron Simmons winning. Uh, but one other match um, that uh, you can probably go back and, and look up and, and see um, was a uh, Texas Death Match, if you remember, from Halloween Havoc '93. Okay. And it and it was Big Van Vader against Cactus Jack. Now I'm not going to say too much. I would say go go check it out if you've got the WWE Network, if you've got YouTube or whatever else. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. But there's a Texas Death Match between uh, Big Van Vader and and Cactus Jack, and it is absolutely brilliant. I remember watching it at the time. I'm going like, wow, this is this is fantastic, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, I think Meltzer, um, if you go back into his ratings and have a look and whatever else, I think he scored it pretty highly. I think it was almost almost a five star match, which. You know, if you put Vader and Cactus Jack in a ring together, would you? Would anyone expect a five-star match? You know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't say that necessarily, would you? Um, Certainly, so, so. 1992 three-era WCW was not um, necessarily known for its um, matches of that kind of caliber. So exactly, exactly. So you know, just putting that one out there, I would you know get everyone to uh, to check that one out on the. Uh, on the network or, or, or on YouTube or have you like to get your videos these days but uh, both of you guys made some amazing arguments for uh, for, for both matches um, Rob I mean you, you even you know gave me a lot of uh, encouragement for Paul's selection actually but uh... well I've been fair and I was being fair across the board <laughs> I tried knocked it down a little bit as well uh, listen before you before you make your decision um, let's have a little quick chat about his time in WWF because um, at one point we were going to make this feature just a kind of a WWE thing sometimes it's easier but um, Dean A.S. threw out um, Vader as the choice last week so we've been we've decided to uh, make it a bit more all-encompassing but if we were just focusing I'm going to direct this to you Paul if we were just focusing on his WWF run what, what do you think you would have picked for there? What comes to your mind off of there? You know there are more matches um, than you would think actually um, that Vader excelled in in um, in the WWF. The ones that spring immediately to mind to me. Um, well, do you know what? I'm, there's about. I'm going to mention. Can I mention, can I go as far as five, or shall I leave them for you? Ah, do you like? Go ahead. Hey, mate. Well, straight away, the ones that I think of. Um, obviously, Vader against Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam was a phenomenal match. Um, could have been better. Could have been better if Shawn Michaels wasn't a peak dickhead. Um, <laughs> and obviously, we, it's all it's well documented that that match should have led to a rematch at Survivor Series with Vader taking the belt um, even in fact he should have been in the Sid position sim- simple as that he should have taken the belt and then uh, lost it back to Michaels at the uh, Royal Rumble in San Antonio in early 97 um, wasn't to be uh, but a great match in its own right then you had a phenomenal big man match uh, between Vader and The Undertaker at Canadian Stampede Right. Another, another hard-hitting, great, great match. I believe it was a world title match. If I'm not mistaken, could could easily be mistaken. Ooh, not really sure. I can't get my no. quite get my timeline there. But um, I yeah, saw was... I saw Vader in Undertaker at a house show in Birmingham in 1996. 
Well, I was about to say they had another one in Birmingham at one night only. There was another great match. Uh, sorry, that was no, that was Bader Owen Hart. My mistake. That was another great match. You had a one night only in um, uh, in Birmingham, and they had a great big man little man match where um, Bader was nominally the he at uh, the face, and Owen Hart was meant to be the heel, but the crowd soon switched that around, and we got mm-hmm. got the Vader of old. And then speaking of Owen Hart, do you remember the WrestleMania match where we got Hart and Bulldog against Vader and Mankind? Yep. Criminally underrated that match, mm-hmm. uh, and then finally the last one that comes into my head is uh, one of his early matches. Actually, you get Razor Ramon's last match in the Federation. That was the uh, one that was that was the one that was coming to my mind. That was in your house. Yeah, it was, and you you think with with Razor having given his notice, he should be a fairly simple squash, but it wasn't. It was a competitive match, and it was it really stood up. Uh, mm-hmm. Enjoyed that match a lot. Mm-hmm. Was that the was same really the same in your house that um, Diesel wrestled Shawn Michaels and they did the spot with taking Mad Dog with Shawn's leg spot. off? One and the same, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a what a spot! Yeah. <laughs> Great booking, yeah. Indeed. Um, ironically, well, ironically, that's not the use of, right use of the word. Ironically, sorry, Alanis. But um, in, interestingly, um, the thing that stands out for me most about WWE um, or WWF version of Vader. Um, is the angle that they ran with him on the second night when he when he attacked Gorilla? Oh uh, yes. On Monday Night Raw, which is a s- unbelievably good angle, to bring this guy in as this mad person in the Rumble because his, his his debut was at the Rumble, you know, and he mm-hmm. got eliminated. Well, okay, it was a sort of sh- slightly shonky spot with Sean dumping out Vader and Yoko at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. But Vader came back in and started to clean house and had to be, you know, admonished and got rid of. And so you already had this big out of control Jim Cornette trying to calm down the, the monster, um, you know, angle. And then the following night on Raw, they did this attack where we had to be calmed down again and he attacked Gorilla Monsoon. You know, that was completely and utterly unheard of. You know, no one ever attacked Jack Tunney. It was like, to, you know, obviously Gorilla could take the, but, but Gorilla sort of fought back, didn't he? And did those chops, and then Vader, like a coward, attacked him from behind. What mm-hmm. a great angle! And it was that like he was completely made at that point, and they never really went with him, which kind of brings us into our, you know, best of times, worst of times. Is that mm-hmm. I recall at some point, probably towards the end of his run, I'm sure they had a match where Vader lost, and he came out of the ring, and he he was interviewed by like Kevin Kelly or someone, and he said something along the lines of. You know, I'm embarrassed with myself. I'm a fat piece of shit. You know, and it was like, what a strange interview. And it was almost, I mean, if assuming that was scripted, imagine going up to Vader and saying, we want you to say this. You're practically th- saying, this is what we think of you. Yeah. And, you know, I remember thinking that that's a strange thing to do, to, you know, to get him to, you know, it's what, what George Costanza's father might have called the airing of grievances. But it's a very strange thing to do that um, on air. And I felt I felt very badly for for Leon, I won't say for Vader, but for Leon, the man mm-hmm. behind that, because whatever attitude he may have had or whatever bad things he may have done backstage, fine. You know, there may be a reason to punish him, but it's in an odd way of doing things. So, to me, mm-hmm. I mean, the, I think you could consider the whole of his WWF run to be a bit of a down point, considering that the money he could have made, you know, if they'd have really gone with him. If he'd have come along in the Yokozuna position, you know, that little bit a year or two earlier... Mm-hmm. And they'd have gone with him instead of Yoko and done Brett Vader, you know, how hot Brett was at that time. And then a sort of a dead man Undertaker against Vader. That was, you know, they could have done everything a couple of years earlier. Even Hogan v, v Vader, you know, mm-hmm. with, with Hogan coming back around WrestleMania 9 or so, uh, there would have been some really big stuff there. I think he missed his slot, really. And I think mm-hmm. when, when they put him in, they didn't really wire it up properly. And 
I think that's the biggest, the biggest shame for me. Um, Vic, memories of Vader's WWF run? Um, in his WWF days, I mean, uh, to be honest, you know, uh, you know, you pretty much covered everything I was going to say, really. I mean, I remember the uh, the angle with, with Gorilla and things, and that was, you know, probably one of his most memorable moments, really. There, um, you know, the Vader I always like to remember is obviously, you know, that time in WCW where you know just coming from Japan and he was so hot and you know, and he was just this absolute monster, monster heel. And, and let's not forget, I mean, I guess you know a lot of the the fans, you know, you know a lot of our you know, sort of listeners, you know, who may be new to Vader. Um, let's not forget, Vader was actually over here in the UK just last year as well, fighting one of one of our very best talents here in the UK, in, in Will Ospreay. And uh, I don't know if you remember all the um, yeah. all the, the the war of tweets and stuff that went on between the two of them, because obviously Vader didn't really uh, take too kindly to Osprey winning the uh, the sort of junior heavyweight, uh, the Super. Jay, I think it was in, in Japan and things like that, and uh, and so it ended up in the two of them, Vader and and Osprey fighting out in the in London. Um, so yeah, Vader, you know, of course, you know, had his health issues, still has his health issues and things, you know, going on now. But you know, looking back in history, I mean, definitely, definitely one of the greatest big men of all time, really. Yeah, I think it's um, you know, generally speaking, on his career, it's a positive. If you're a WWF guy, and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. then you've probably got him quite a long way down your list but um, certainly I, I would have loved to have seen we talked last week um, when we were talking about Edge mm-hmm. um, I brought up the point with uh, if I was being nitpicky about Edge's career I'd have liked to have seen him have a better finisher and um, I was I was going to be nitpicky about Vader's career but this is not really nit- I can't criticise anyone for this but I would love to have be able to go into a time machine and manipulate it so Vader didn't go to WWF and instead Vader was around um, when the NWO came in because mm-hmm. I think Vader as that you know nasty bully heel for all of those years fighting against Sting and against Flair and mm-hmm. against whoever if that was the moment where Vader went babyface for the first time mm-hmm. you know fighting against the NWO I yeah. think that would have been really special to have seen Vader align with Sting and align mm-hmm. with Flair you know, and to say this guy that was this nasty bastard for all this time is willing yeah. to put that aside and wrestle alongside Sting and Flair. I know Sting was doing the Crow thing, so it's a little bit different. Yes. But, but yeah. that would yeah. have been a really, really cool development in Vader's character. I'd have loved to have seen that. Obviously, it's not meant to be, and that's you know, mm-hmm. we, we can't turn back time. But it's a real fascinating... Mm-hmm. Like in the old apt mags, you used to get what if these two would wrestle. I have this in mm-hmm. my mind. What if Vader was around then? From the mm-hmm. research I've been doing, to, I don't remember this firsthand, but apparently just before he got fired for the Orndorff incident, um, the storyline was in the works where the, obviously it was the Dungeon of Doom against Hulk Hogan at that point, really, as the, as the driving feud. And Hogan had recruited Savage and Sting, and they'd just recruited Vader to be the fourth man on the team, um, a face-turning Vader. And what a formidable force, and that would have made for a War Games match, eh? Well, they would have, but but that he would have been playing third or fourth fiddle to Hogan and Savage, mm-hmm. and that would have completely neutered Vader. I mean, I didn't know that. I, mean, I don't know WCW intricately enough for that. I do know that Dungeon of Doom was a woeful stable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, bless Kevin Sullivan, who tried very hard for years to, you know, be creative to, you know, ignore the fact that he was five foot one or whatever the hell he is. But you know, that was a nonsense stable, as far as I'm concerned. That was a proper early '90s. You know, silly cartoon, you know, kind of thing that no one liked. It was exactly that kind of thing that WCW needed to get away from 
when mm-hmm. NWO came in and completely changed the industry. Um, but yeah, that to me that would have been Vader at absolutely the wrong point because he would not have been the focal point of that. He would have just been a Hogan sidekick. He would have been tugboat. <laughs> you know, and it's like no one needed another tugboat. So mm-hmm. um, and bless Fred Ottman, who's one of the nicest men I've ever met. But I'm not, you know, no one's ever going to suggest that tugboat and typhoon was the was a you know a groundbreaking character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say that you know that would I would have been interesting to see where they'd have gone with that because all but I assume that they'd have had Vader be a baby face for a few months and then turn on Hogan just so they could have done another Vader Hogan match. So yeah, my assumption. Does uh, does anybody remember Vader's uh, very short-lived uh, TNA run at all? Well, I know he was there. I have to say, I don't remember anything about <laughs> it though. <laughs> yeah, so he was there too. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, it was, it was quite a while ago now. It would have been probably early two thousands, really, maybe about two thousand three or something. But um, I remember he was. Um, I think he, he came in to defend the honor of Dusty Rhodes and was up against the Harris brothers, who were who were in TNA at the time. And uh, they ended up being in a tag team match together. So like Dusty Rhodes and Big Van Vader against the Harris brothers wow. was uh, was happening in TNA. <laughs> but some, uh, yeah, some of the things so... that happened in TNA over the years. Which, you know, <laughs> was it a Pretty dream? Much. No, it happened. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, like I said, you know, just you know, one of the greatest big men of all time, really. And uh, you know, if anybody is in any doubt, then you know, do check out you know the network and everything else. It makes it so easy now to go back and look at look at guys like Vader and you just see you know you know how amazing he really was and what a heel he was you know I mean that was the that's the thing you know in, in the days before the internet and when all you could read were like magazines or you know get somebody to post you a dirt sheet from America or whatever else I mean it was uh, you know information was always really hard to come by but uh, you know Vader was like the ultimate heel really you know he was he was fantastic and, uh, and what a what a what a great wrestler one final match I suppose we should mention was obviously the uh, dramatic moment where he uh, where he cut off Luke's hand in um, Empire Strikes Back and did the uh, the big the big the big I am your father swerve which is uh, no one that was pretty good too that was pretty, that, that was did, some, did good. some good numbers that put some asses on seats as Giovanni might say um, yeah. <laughs> very cushioned ones in Odeons um, no, let's uh, let's go on to the uh, the big moment then. So uh, another okay. another much vaunted big man who begins with a V. Vic, it's your um, <laughs> it's your time. You get to choose. Is it going to be Paul's um, choice of Vader versus Ric Flair from? Oh, remind me, was it was it um, Starcade '93 uh, up against my choice of Vader versus Sting um, from the, the Great American Bash '92? So is it going to be Sting or is it going to be Flair? What's your decision, Vic? So, Pretty much throughout the entire thing, I was gonna, I was gonna side with Paul, and I was gonna say Starcade '93 was what I was gonna say, but then one line sealed it for me, Rob, and this is where you take credit, and that line was, if 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 Vader did not have this match with Sting back in '92, you would not have seen that match as good as it was in '93 with with Flair. So for that reason and that reason alone, Paul, uh, Rob, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with your decision. And, uh, and your pick, really, and that is uh, and that is Vader against Sting. Fist pumping the air down in my kitchen <laughs> here in Devon, 
<laughs> very happy with that. I, I tell you what, I thought I'd lost that one. I thought Paul put up a very, very good argument. Paul's and, argument was fantastic. And then, and like and an idiot, you, I, and, and, and yeah, and yeah. even you <laughs> gave him so many, like you know, so so many, you know, countering exactly. things as well. You know, like a fool, I kept his <laughs> argument going about how good you it did, was. You did, you did, you um, did, and 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 I was completely sold. I mean, you know, at that point in time, I'm like, yeah, Rob's got no chance of winning this. Yeah, I, but then. That line absolutely sealed it for me, and it was so true. And I don't think Paul, was, you know? I don't think Paul's happy. Let's let, let's go to Benson and see what he says. <laughs> I think I've been robbed this week. <laughs> absolutely robbed. Yeah, I, I I feel like there's this is an absolute clear cut decision this time, and uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, hey, mate. Listen, this is that's how I felt for practically the whole of the WrestleMania mixtape <laughs> when I kept getting things wrenched away from me. Right now's your time. Then what we've done in the last few podcasts is that during the show, mm. we've gone to Facebook and we've asked a question and we've we've gone through some of those things during the podcast. We actually haven't done that tonight, but I encourage you now to go to Facebook and to say we have just recorded the podcast because it'll be in the past tense by the time they read it. We have just recorded the podcast. Um. We have been deciding on the best ever Vader matches. Or maybe no, actually, we probably shouldn't give it away, should we? We probably shouldn't give it away the ending before uh, before that. But it would be interesting to see once it's gone out what people's reaction to it. Maybe let's give it a bit of a breathing space. But then you mm-hmm. can vent your frustration uh, on social media because let's face it, everyone else does, um, and just uh, see if people side with you. I'll be interested to see. Um, what the reaction to is to that so we'll, uh, we'll have a chat about that next week to see if uh, if the people have come down on your side we should probably do that for uh, for most weeks anyway actually to see the uh, the people's verdict um, Vic you've got one more um, task ahead of you having done such a right. fine thing there which is uh, deciding that I was right um, yeah. your next task <laughs> is to set us someone to speak about next week now the parameters are um, quite broad um, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, we are WWE focused, although obviously we've taken a bit of a, a departure with Vader. But we'd like someone that was at least had a fair stint in WWE. Um, world champion, WWE champion, that sort of level is where we're pra- we're basically talking. But Hall of Famer generally will be will be okay with long term IC champion. US champion, that sort of level accepted as well. So it's a quite mm-hmm. a wide parameter. We haven't done tag teams yet. We'd be happy to take on Ooh. a big tag team. We haven't done any female wrestlers yet. We'd be happy to take on that as well. But you are not obliged to do either of those things. We will get to these things in due course. This is an indefinite project. Um, mm-hmm. But we would like you to provide us with a subject matter for next week's Hooked On podcast where we can discuss the best of times and the worst of times for that person or team it is up to you to uh, to set us one now but like I say we need a, a certain amount of um, uh, scope don't, please don't pick Techno Team 2000 <laughs> um, or, or Nails or something then we're, we're going to be struggling there but uh, someone with a, a bit of a bit of profile would be good so we can uh, have a good fun debate about it okay. You know, yeah, so I've got a lot, lot of good ideas, really. I mean, it's uh, I, <laughs> for me, I guess, with me being my, uh, you know, a big WCW fan, I think uh, the person you guys need to talk about um, is uh, is Lex Luger. Okay, I think we I could think do Lex, Luger. I think I think Luger could be uh, could be an interesting one, you know, because uh, here he was, you know, much much maligned throughout his career, but uh, went on to to win a number of number of titles in 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 many promotions, really, and. Uh, and I think he was a, he was a guy that you either kind of loved or hated. I think we can do Luger. I think in the future we'll try and make a a case for some more 
you know, people that had a, a WWE-centric career. But I think Luger <laughs> falls under a, a similar bracket to Vader, really, in terms of having a strong WCW run, having a bit of a WWF run where he was, you know, certainly um, a, a big name. Um, Paul, are you, happy, are you happy with Luger? Yeah, Luger's fine, I'm sure. Like you say, we're going to be looking at WCW again with this one, but that's cool. Um, sure. <laughs> if you want me, I can pick. I can pick somebody completely. No, different. no, no, no. It's, a, it's we a Luger. We can go with definitely. <laughs> we, to be honest, it's a really interesting discussion because Luger is one of these guys that, when you just think about it without much, without giving it much thought. Um, he's he's not thought of to be the greatest worker in the world, but when we just scratch a little bit below the surface, he has had some pretty decent matches. That's right, and it's it's not bad for a for a bodybuilder with was it three percent body fat or whatever he uh, he claims <laughs> to have every single time, you know. Um, and you know it's just an incredible kind of checkered career, really. And then how his life's ended up now, you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty much you know the the highs of highs and lows of of wrestling all all in. All in one person, really. You know, it's uh, it's quite a quite a fascinating story, I think. It's a uh, it's a it is a very fun story um, to discuss. So, uh, so next week on the podcast, uh, we will be looking at the best of times and the worst of times of Lex Luger, made in the USA, the narcissist, the total package. Call him what you will, but he was a member of the Horsemen and all sorts of uh, things went on in the career of Luger. So we'll uh, we'll be doing that. Um, all that remains for me to say today is, uh, Vic, it's been, I can't believe we've waited this long to get you on, but uh, it's been the right time. We've had a chat about WrestleMania, about the old days with you, about Hooked On, about Vader, all that kind of thing. So uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely do this again. It's been uh, great to talk to you, mate, if nothing else. But uh, if, if we haven't said it enough on this podcast, there are some real um, driving forces behind Hooked On Wrestling. Um, we've mentioned other people like uh, Sam Ibrahim is another one that never gets any... Uh, any knowledge he does a lot of stuff for us on in in the background and as do others stevie cox who's been on the podcast but uh um we would be not very far along the road without vikram sangar let me tell you that so uh it's uh it's a pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast thank and on the guys. team buddy and it's uh been uh, thank you. it's been ages since i've seen you we'll have to uh we'll have to hook up <laughs> soon if not but if, if not we'll see you at summerslam fantastic yeah it's been great great uh great being on with you guys really thank you for having me and, Cheers, uh, buddy. You show, coming on, mate. Showbiz Paul Benson. So, um, what are we doing? Are we, is uh, is John Morrison booked for next week or what? I'm sure we could get Big Johnny M on at some point, but uh, I'm, not <laughs> sure Johnny M. I'm not sure they'll be too <laughs> up on his uh, Lex Luger 80s at night. <laughs> <laughs> I've really left you in the lurch with Lex Luger, haven't no, I? No, it's fine. I'm, That's not I'm, a problem. I'm, Leave it with no, us, I'm, mate. That's okay. I'm going to look forward to your car crash podcast next time. Yeah, next oh, oh, thanks. That's the idea, is it? You've come in as the, the Vince McMahon, a deadly dose of poison. In the, uh, you're trying to wreck our creation. Can inject it. Inject it. He'll okay. turn by Sangar in the last two minutes here on the podcast. No, we'll get, we'll get John Morrison on when, uh, when we're doing, I don't know, who should, we, who should we get him on for? The Miz, the best matches of the Miz. The Miz. Yeah. Uh, something like that in uh, 2027. Oh, we, we get him on when we do John Morrison. Oh, that's a good point, actually. At some point, we'll uh, do John Morrison matches in 2029. Um, no, actually, no, I'm, I'm being cynical here. I actually I was a massive fan of John Morrison at one point, and I wrote a long blog post talking about how you could make John Morrison the next big star. So we'll uh, we'll get him on one day, and I'll be a, a huge nerd and read him my long storyline, which involved him and Shawn Michaels and Triple H and others to make John Morrison the next big star, and then they released him about six months later. So it uh, it shows what I know, doesn't it? Anyway, I'll um I will leave uh, Vic to his um 
uh, meandering around the wrestling world trying to find one more job that he's not done and I will leave Paul to his showbiz ways looking after various celebrities in pro wrestling and MMA and I shall return to my humdrum life uh, looking after the team most recently promoted to League One of the Football League so uh, from uh, all of us on the Hooked On team here on the Hooked On podcast please do check out all of our information about the Bruce Pritchard tour coming up in July and we will see you next week here on the Hooked On podcast and just remember as we've been talking about throughout it's wrestling enjoy it we'll see you very soon